Now let me listen. <laughs> We're professionals, really. Yeah, that's why Lois listens. What'd you say, Casey? Uh, you need Fred and Petra. Okay. Oh, levels are all good on my side. I'm gonna assume Captain Socks and Lewis are fine because they haven't said yeah, we, anything. So. We were doing our professional we're thing good. while you ran away without telling we're us away. anything. Casey is taking off to do a dog thing, and so we're trying to sort dogs so that they don't scream too much when she leaves. I didn't think it was possible to sort dogs. Well, I suppose you can you can sort them easier than you can cats. They will actually listen sometimes. Well, I, I, I was trying to use terminology that our guest here would understand. <laughs> I know what cats are. <laughs> no, Fred is going to go uh, go uh, uh, across the country to go make babies. So, oh, fun. so not here. That's one hell of he a long distance somewhere. relationship, it, right? Well, not too bad. Uh, from uh, Wyoming to Utah. I mean, I can't talk. I went to Canada. Cross country. That's that's not even cross country. That's cross states. There, George. That's neighbors. Have you been across the southern part of Wyoming? Yes, I have. As bad as Nebraska. Yes, I have been across. I've driven I eighty all the way across Wyoming. Ugh. Yeah. Oh, all right. Are we ready? I, I don't make a habit of visiting states that don't exist. Hey, hey, hey. Are we good? I we think are. so. Alrighty. Getting table. Getting table. Getting table. Getting table. Getting table. Getting table. With the Bruce, the Yang, and Captain Socks. Hello, future people, and you're listening to a very special episode of Game Table with your host, the Bruce. And it'd be me at one o'clock in the morning. Captain Socks is somewhere over here. You're down below me. I, I, I don't know what where Bruce has us on the screen. And then there's another face that's right there. Uh, it's it's Lewis and Clark. Hello, that's me. So for those that are not watching the video version of this, it's going to be a little bit confusing who who Lewis Clark is. But his T-shirt reveals that he doesn't work for TT Combat. Not at all. Not I even vaguely. I stole it. <laughs> is that the same ones that we're going to get eventually? The uh, TT if agents. A, if you're an agent, it's grey and it's got a nice little world picture on there. Yeah. Very nice. So, for those of you that have been listening to us for a while, you may know that we've kind of had some banter going back and forth with Lewis for a little bit. For those that have been listening to us from the Hot LZ days, you may remember a video that was posted in response to something that we vaguely said at one point. <laughs> so... First things first, thank you very much for doing this. It's kind of been something we've wanted to do for a while. That At least a couple of years. Yeah, long time listener, first time caller, I think. <laughs> <laughs> Is that how that video first got created, the one of you and Louie? Is uh, that because yeah, you'd heard us make the comment? Or had somebody pointed have, it out at that stage? We've we had it quite a lot. We still get it quite a lot in the office. Whenever we get a phone call, I get a phone call. Hi, yeah, it's design. They go, hi, this song for for Lewis. And I'm like, you sure it's for Lewis or is it for Louis? Yeah, it's for Lewis. And I ask, they go, hey, Louis, how are you? And I'm like, every time, at least once a week. So, how much did Louis spend on CG and animation to get you to become a real person? I mean, it took a while. Like, we got a few of the industrial light and magic people in, and it, you know, it, it's worth it. I think same sort of technology I did with the two pack hologram we started with. Nice, nice. <laughs> Do you ever accidentally call yourself the wrong thing, forgetting that you're supposed to be two people? <laughs> no, I. Oh, welcome back. Hello. Hello. Yep. <laughs> Every second. 
I was about to blame my internet because everything stopped, but then you disappeared. So that's British internet. It's Cornish internet. Oh, that's even worse. Mm. I'm just yeah, going to smile because I haven't used the internet anywhere over there. We've recently had an upgrade at home, but it's still not very good. <laughs> you were still saying it was better than the one at work, but I suppose that's got more yeah. to do with because there's so many people over there. Yeah, that's exactly it. Actually, it's one of the reasons that we stopped doing live videos. We did a few weeks, um, I think we did a couple of months of live videos. We did sort of Friday afternoons. We all got together and had a like TT Combat catch up chat, but it was so poor internet quality that we ended up having to sort of just push it to the side. And now we do videos when we get the time and they're not live, but it's still, you know, it, it's something when we can do it, but it's terribly, yeah. terribly sorry. We, we can relate to that to some extent. <laughs> Three time zones, two hemispheres, you know, yeah. So, well, should we jump into the uh, meat and potatoes of this, Bruce? Yeah, let's let's jump into things. I just want to acknowledge something really quickly first. When I approached you about this, the first thing that you asked wasn't so much about uh, what do you want to ask, what do you want to talk about. It was what sort of time are you recording because somebody's going to be up at stupid o'clock in the morning. <laughs> the first thing in your head was thinking about us, not thinking about yourself. So I want to thank you for that. That's not true. I was thinking about me. I was thinking, don't make me talk at 8 o'clock in the morning because you won't get a good interview. We wouldn't have done that. That's not fair. <laughs> yeah, no, if you're it. talking at 8 o'clock, if you were at 8 o'clock in the morning, it'd be like some stupid like 3 a.m. for me and I would not know. No, I, I can manage like if, if we do it again, it's sort of 2, 3 a.m. for me. I can manage that. But anything, <laughs> anything after sleeping early in the morning, everyone in the office knows not to talk to me until at least 3.30 in the afternoon. That seems fair. <laughs> Between 3.30 and 4, that's my magic half hour. That's where I get everything done. That's where you get yeses to everything. Yeah. So we've missed we've missed out on getting all of our answers to our quest to our secret questions by 30 minutes. Mm-hmm. Dang it. <laughs> Next time. Alright, well since this is all essentially just a uh, giant game talk. Talk nerdy to me. Talk nerdy to me, Lewis. <laughs> Dragons and spaceships. <laughs> uh, what first brought you into the hobby? Uh, ooh, back in, I don't even know the year. I was about eleven, um, and my next door neighbour decided he wanted to play Warhammer Forty Thousand. Um, there were no stores nearby at the time at all, so we could drive sort of forty-five minutes away to go to a tiny little toy store and pick up some little. I got some uh, plastics, plastic flavorings. That's how old I am. Plastic flavorings, the very old ones, not the new ones. Um, I was going to say, I'm feeling yeah. you might be younger than all of us. I could be wrong. Is that eleven or two thousand eleven, or is that the same? That's eleven, age eleven. That's definitely not two thousand eleven. <laughs> I get these youthful Cornish looks, that's all. Oh, is that what it is? <laughs> I didn't get um, it. But yeah, we, uh, we start off playing 40k on our floor, you know, polystyrene balls with pine, with um, cocktail sticks stuck in for scenery, that sort yeah. of thing. Um, yeah, so yeah, that was quite a long time ago, long time I'd like to admit, really. But, yeah. do, do you still have those Plague Marines hiding somewhere? <laughs> no, I am. Um, I, sadly enough, I donated a lot of my old stuff to some um, local kids in the village where I grew up well, about sort of 15 years later when I had way more Warhammer than I needed to admit to. Something that all of us can relate to. <laughs> Do you still yeah. have any of your old stuff? Like any um, of your I've original a, loves? I've got a couple of uh, very, very old miniatures that I was very proud of painting at the time. Um, squirreled away in some cabinet somewhere. Um, but a lot of my stuff's in storage at the moment. I used to live up in Bristol, UK, uh, but now I've moved down to Cornwall. Um, and some of the stuff is still in my parents' house. 
um, which they're happy to keep hold of until they realise it's there. <laughs> Hopefully they're not listening. <laughs> Probably not, I hope not. What's your favorite game to play nowadays Which, when you're not demoing or playtesting or, or working, I guess, is the best way to put it? <laughs> I, I love to say any of my games. <laughs> you can't pick between your own children. That's yeah, tricky. <laughs> um, I've just started, actually, I've just started, I've just rekindled my old Left of Blood Bowl. Um, yeah. which with the new edition I've sort of been tiptoeing in um, I'm starting to make a new human team which is very very vanilla but it's something I haven't had for a long time it's been goblins for a long time and I kind of wanted something I could win with for a change um, but yeah I'm sort of just dipping my toe in there like the, we're talking about getting a level 7 league going um, once everything sort of opens up again and that's sort of something I could really get into smaller games that don't take long to play and I only need a tiny case for but that's not yeah, yeah so yeah that, that's the bigger thing I can definitely relate to that that side of it the quicker the smaller games side of it yeah um, it's one of the reasons I'm like, very heavy into that one of the reasons I love Rumble Slam so much when it sort of first started with the company is that it's a sort of 45 minute game that takes up one foot square brilliant love it yeah so when it comes to Rumble Slam from what I understand because you just acknowledge that's when you joined the company you started in the graphics design for that I believe uh, <laughs> funnily enough I started in the lasers um I was How did you get be, into the graphics design then? I, was they just asking uh, your skill set? Yeah, so when, when I um, applied for the job, it was sort of a part-time scenery designer and then part-time laser operator. So that's what I needed, so to both. And that lasted all of about half a day before they went, hey, you you know graphic design, don't you? I was like, yes, yeah, so yeah, I have a graphic design degree. And then like, do you know how to use InDesign? Yes, I do. Do you know how to use Photoshop? Yes, I do very well. I'm like, okay, well, why don't you come with us? And so I got taken upstairs and they said, here's a game that we started and haven't finished can you finish it for us I was like yay yes I can um, but yeah from there I sort of took over the graphic design side of the whole company really I, I kind of bullied my way into it um, but we did I, I got brought it to sort of they had a sort of they had the rules sort of mostly sort of covered for Rumble Slam um, but none of the graphics were very far along they sort of made a sort of basic design for the card but everything else was text documents documents scattered around the place we had to sort of collate everything and got told hey yeah there's all this stuff we kind of have a game for it can you do it in a month and a half and i was like um i'll give it my best shot and yeah you, you went in yeah, just right. before the kickstarter went then after the kickstarter so the kickstarter oh, so this is after finished. okay the kickstarter had been finished for i think it was about nine months at that time and they got to a stage where the miniatures were getting starting to get produced but they didn't have anyone to do that other side of it um so it's very fortuitous that it sort of came about yeah. so, so a very right place right time for you yeah. well um uh jess my wife and i we uh, just moved we had three months in the u.s we toured around the US um, and we followed the Lewis and Clark trail for quite a while um, <laughs> and so we sort of left our lives behind went to America came back and then we're sort of applying to different jobs and we were living with my parents at the time in Bristol and we sort of we wanted to use our degrees and sort of resigned ourselves to the fact that that wasn't going to happen in Cornwall um, Jess is she's from Cornwall I'm from Bristol but we moved down here for a few years beforehand um, and yeah, we sort of resigned ourselves to the fact we had to move to Germany or to London, maybe, or all sorts of over the places. And we both sort of happened to find jobs in Cornwall, very, very like jobs that really used our degrees. Um, so yeah, it was very, very fortuitous. I sort of just discovered TT Combat about a month before. I ordered a few pieces of scenery and then saw a job advert and wrote this cringy email to them saying, Hi, I just bought some of your stuff. Can I have a job? <laughs> 
Clearly, it didn't work at all. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, so yeah, clearly, it wasn't just as cringy as you thought it was. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think it was, uh, yeah, sort of like came along and said, I know how to use Adobe products, and they went, oh, we could use that. I think we'll passion is something that gets very important in this business. So as much as it probably appears cringy looking back, it might even be part of the reason why they picked you up. I wouldn't know, yeah. obviously, but I mean, um, I did, I did my stint, did my time working for Games Workshop back in the day as well, and um, recruiting for that was always you just look for people that are passionate about what they're doing, and even if you don't know all the rules or you don't know exactly how to, you know, talk to everybody, then if you got the passion for it, that was the key driving sort of thing for it. So I, I think that holds true with any job in the hobby. If you're passionate about the hobby, you're going to make everything else work. George was going to ask something and I cut him off. No, no, I I, I, I can't remember what I said. Must have been I, important I then. What's your favourite drop flip model and why is it the Scourge drop uh, Dreadnoughts? I mean, it is the Scourge Dreadnoughts. I'm actually not sure if I wrote that or if somebody else put that in there. <laughs> um, that, that sounds like something you would have written, Bruce. I was going to say, that's Probably. more you, Bruce. <laughs> Do you know, actually, maybe my favourite model now is the um, PHR Gripper. Woo! It's great, isn't it? I really It's getting it. a lot of conversation right now. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's very Marmite, um, model-wise, I know, for some people, but rules-wise, it's also... It's a lot, I know. <laughs> um, I, yeah, I, these new Battle Cruisers for the PHR, I think they look a thousand times better than the than the two original designs. I agree. I really like um, them, too. When, when we did these Battle Cruisers, Dave, Dave was in the office at the time. He um, Before pre-COVID, he used to come down sort of three, four times a year. Um, and we'd sit down, we'd have a big roundtable meeting about what's coming next, what he's going to design, and how it's going to look. And the Battle Cruisers were a direct response to, this is what the original ships Dave's got to look like, and these are the ships that he's made most recently, and how do we make those things Together. So the, the PHR is the most obvious. It is the caster pollocks, it's the monitors matching some of the old sort of battle cruiser style. Um, but you could see it throughout a uh, lot of the other ones as well. And I think they're really cool. Like the um, the, uh, the triple prow of the Rome is the sort of the reminiscent of the Kiev as well. Um, yeah. And I really like that. I really like that sort of meshing of the two different styles together. Uh, I have a quick uh, follow up question. Uh, why did you let an intern decide that the Shaltari were going to have a two up burn through 12 weapon? I mean, Dave gets paid like everyone else. I wouldn't call him an intern. Oh, oh. <laughs> I, I'm being the Shaltari player that I am. That just, that seems real a little ridiculous in my book. Even. Um, well, we. Dave doesn't need any same. help. <laughs> Shaltari doesn't need any help. Um, but yeah, Dave's always been the same with his rules writing. Like, if there's a sort of triple barrel version or a four barrel version of a weapon that already exists, it gets three times or four times more powerful. And like with the um, yeah. the burn through the the, the bass cruiser has the same one on the destroyer, um, but there's four of them. So yeah, you you just get four times the shots, and it's a two plus because yeah. it's a two plus. It's a lot, but it's it's um. I think Shatara is really nice because it does one thing really, really well, which is kind of what you expect Shatara to be able to do. They put all of their efforts into doing that one thing because we don't see that very much with Shatara. Everything, particularly anything bigger than a cruiser, is such a mixed approach for them that having one web, one ship that does one very distinct role, they don't have to be good at it, aren't they? Shatara are very much about getting that chain in place and then anything else is just to protect the chain, nothing else matters. Uh, exactly. This is really, it feels like it's the first ship that's kind of deviated from that a little bit. It's I mean, obviously it's going to help protect the chain, but y you could go aggressive with that very easily. I think um, like on, on the last week's, or week before's podcast, you were talking about it, and it's um, Shatari 
this time around haven't got any special rules or anything weird about them but that's sort of weird in itself because they've got all those special rules they have yeah. that very yeah they have no. a very special rule heavy place that having something that just goes that destroys things it's like oh okay that's refreshing yeah george was complaining and i kept on telling him no you've already got the best ship in the you've already got the best weapon in the game you don't need anything else well and, and then bruce went and found that you know that oh it's a burn through 12 like yeah okay yeah I'll, I'll make yeah a whole... Because I can roll above a two 99% of the time, unlike Bruce. So it, it'll work great for me. Oh, I definitely have the same problem with the Bruce. I have the same rolls. If it's two plus, it's going to be a one every time. Yeah, dice love me so much. <laughs> Especially <laughs> D6s. We, whenever I playtest things in the office, there's always a big asterisk next to it. It looks like Lewis playtested this, so it's probably not going to work the same as you thought it would. <laughs> <laughs> So in other words, there's no point in me applying for a job at TT Combat. We don't need two people that roll that way. Well. Yeah, we've already got one here. It's fine. <laughs> you two play against each other, and then it would work. But average out. I mean, that game would definitely take about a thousand years to finish, though. Literally, no, no casualties on any side. <laughs> It'll just be a matter of who gets to spam their ground troops more. Um, speaking of battle cruisers, can I ask a question back? Sure. Yes. Why do you hate? Uh, why do you hate resistance? No, we were leaving resistance alone because we were going to cover resistance by itself. Uh, see, because it works before. so differently, we we chose that we were going to cover resistance by themselves because it's kind of you make the ship that you want. It was going to be a longer conversation. Yeah, and if you look at what we've done, we've we've talked Shaltari, PHR, mm-hmm. you know, Scourge UCM, the, the Resisty are something new, so we're just going to blanket cover them at one go. In fact, it's probably that they will probably be up next when Drop Fleet's next because it's Drop Zone again this time, so it'll be Drop Fleet. So it's probably time to bring them out to talk the monitors and dreadnoughts and everything. That'll be fun. That's, I get to do lots that of that. Sounds research. believable. Whether we can do <laughs> it all in one game man. talk is going to be very difficult. It might be over two. It's going to be a lot of ships because um, I mean, the resistance. I think we're only missing a dreadnought now, and then I caught up with everything else. Yeah, yeah. but yeah, just but be, because of how complicated be that conversation was going to be. Adding them to an already lengthy conversation probably would have doubled every one of those conversations. Yeah, fair enough. Can I get some like quick, like off knee jerk reaction thoughts on the resistance battle cruisers just to tide me over? They look um, very pretty. <laughs> do. I actually, like truth be told, I haven't actually looked at the rules for them, but I can while we're talking. I was going to say, I, I haven't looked either. <laughs> Resistance. No, that's the stat cards. While we're doing that very subtly, though, <laughs> moving on into another thing, when are we going to start hearing a little bit more about Blood in the Water? Uh, actually, I probably shouldn't be saying this, but I, I finished writing some of it the other day. Actually, on, on Wednesday, I had some time at home, um, and I finished writing my section for the ground. So this is this Blood in the Water for those that don't know. Blood in the Water is an expansion for Carnivale, um, which is one of our other games. Um, and it's the first campaign expansion book that we're going to be doing. Um, it was meant to be released last year in 2020, but COVID happened and all of our plans got shifted. Um, but the book, uh, Current Force, we, we're working on it now. Hopefully it'll be out later this year. Um, we haven't given the dates or anything because we don't, we don't know what's going to happen at the moment. Um, but we've got essentially three distinct chapters to it. Um, I'm writing one. Um, one of our in-house writers, Dave Reporter, who did some work on the original kind of other book, he's writing another hand. Gav Thorpe, we're in talks with, uh, do the third one. She's written a first draft. Um, yeah, so it's 
Oh, actually, um, as, as a TT agent, I think you'll get access to some of the rules before anyone else because they're they're almost ready to be viewed. They haven't had we haven't had much playtesting. It's one of the big things that um, COVID has stopped for particularly blood and water and future yeah. sort of things. Is anything that's in the future playtesting has been just halted and it's got back to just doing the things that are coming out sooner. Um, so yeah, we we need to get some game time with some of the new rules with that and then yeah i think we'll send them over to tt agents to have a look at and have a play with so lewis going back to the senator since you asked that's a scary ship with those vehicles yeah coming. oh yeah <laughs> your bloody armor yeah clearing all your yeah the vx bomb is i think i think that's a bit in the last show where he said oh well this ship's really good but it probably won't break the game i'm like oh yeah wait until you get to that one <laughs> i was gonna say that does when 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 we saw that that image when uh when the bruce sent that over it's like ooh that that's pretty and he's like, yeah, but that's just a placeholder for what this. Uh, oh, so. <laughs> oh no 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 no! That you're talking about the next bit of the conversation. Yes, I'm. I yeah. could be wrong, but I have a feeling that we're the first ones to talk about the space stations because it's only the so, TT yeah. agents that's seen it. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm happy to talk about all of them as well, actually. And then uh, oh, over yeah. with that repair bay. That's kind of nice, being able to repair your own ships or help with damage control. Yes, yeah, and I think is... they're the only ones that do that right now, yeah? Yeah, so far. Um, one of the things we wanted to do with the new battle cruisers is make sure that there was something that hadn't been seen before for a premature thing. And I, I know the Shantari is the thing that we haven't seen is one thing that does one thing. But, yeah, every, every other faction definitely has something very unique to them. We're sort of trying to find room within the game design to input these new sort of things to them. And then that box of scraps where you get a ship that's destroyed next to you and, all right, here's some scrap parts to, to bolt on in the middle of the battle. That's kind of cool, too. Yeah, yeah, it seemed very fitting for Resistance. When, when yeah. we talk with Dave, when we're doing the initial design of it, how we design some of the new ships, we look at what's needed in the game, and then we look at how that would be implemented in the fluff, and then how visually that would sort of work with the different factions, and what was needed in the game for Resistance something to keep them alive a little bit longer for some of them um and what was needed in fluff was we talked about the sort of particularly for the scrap fleet who have existed for 300 years out of depth of space and fixed themselves up and yeah taken these ships from all different places and bolted them together and we're like yeah let's let's have one of those that makes a lot of sense um so yeah i, I really like that one i think that's one of the most like thematically fitting of all the new battle cruisers yeah especially I mean, with the way that things work in the ground game it's all it's all slapped together um it it makes sense that something in their rules would mm-hmm. kind of go that way yeah um how i think there's a, a the, the short sort of like background paragraph we got about it says how they sort of ad hoc repair the ships in in game we sort of we're going to be honest we fudge it a little bit to make sure the repairs work in a game time frame but in a longer yeah. time frame these ships will just you know they've got these extendable arms that take a bit longer to actually make the ships a bit better um but yeah you've got to make it yeah you've got to have some some way to make working games well mm, yeah um the other thing that we lewis and i kind of touched on very briefly that the other two didn't pick up on though is that we're getting some new space station rules for drop we previewed flight. these we previewed, I think we previewed the first one in the advent calendar, which was the, the um, military one. It's called Defense Grid, um, which is like it's a sort of double stack space station thing with a giant mash driver on the top. Um, and that was the first one we did. And then we sneakily previewed another one a few weeks ago in Working Progress Wednesday, which was a botanical station. Um, so we got these two I new variant that. kits. I'm upset that oh, I yeah. that. Um, so yeah, we've got these two new variant kits coming for the space station. They're fully compatible with the modular plastic space station bit, but you can make an entire thing with them on the drone. Um, and they're just a way to sort of make a bit more cool looking space stations, basically, make something that, that's more gameable, 
um, encourages people to use space stations and a little bit more as well, because um, they've always intended them to be a like, constant source of like um, victory points in the game, but generally speaking, we've seen that not many people use them as much as he envisaged it from the start, anyway. Yeah. Um, so adding... We, so, yeah, we, we, got, we put some new rules out to the agents, didn't we, the other day? Um, yes, I, yeah, I, I shared it with the other two when you gave us permission to talk <laughs> about it. Yeah. yeah. yeah I think this is um, cool that, like you said, Dave was wanting the space stations used more, and I don't use them very often, but I think they're going to be used more now because then you're, people are going to want to have these space stations as part of their list. Yeah, so yeah, one of the things we added in with this, one of the things we added in with this was the choice of being able to buy a space station for a few points in the list. And we've kept the points quite low at the moment, they're still in the early pass on these rules, but we get the points quite low, so it could be like, oh, I've got to spend 20 points hanging around, yeah, I'll, I'll have a space station. And the main benefit of it there is that you can change any cluster on the board into a space station, so you get a bit more, not very much, but a little bit more sort of tactical opportunity to play the game how you want to play it. But then in addition to that, you can upgrade them to be these either this defence grid or this botanical station. Um, the defence grid comes with a lot of guns, a very big, very scary gun, uh, which only you as the player who bought the space station can use. The other other players can um, sort of uh, uh, capture the space stations and use any of the sort of minor weaponry that it comes with as standard. Um, but those big guns are only for you, so they're sort of locked off from another player. Uh, so you've got a real weird choice of it if you, you put the space station in your sort of your deployment zone or like near your deployment area and get access to those weapons very quickly, or you can put them a bit closer to your enemy and there's like there's some very dangerous close action weaponry in there that you might want to use, which you might not get to use if you put them too far away. So yeah, it's, yeah. it's an interesting thing to be able to sort of change the game. It's something that could potentially change the way the game is played entirely. Uh, there's no way of obviously knowing if that's how it's going to work until it's out in the real world, you know, after the dark times. But um, this is the first, I would say, major change to p potentially the way the meta works. Because, I mean, more spaceships are still just more spaceships. And like, yeah, like you said, there was space stations, arguably like one of the best kits there was because you could build anything you wanted out of it. Um, but oh, yeah, just yeah this actually gives to, uh, you a reason. I was going to tag on to what you were saying there, Bruce, you know, harken back to when that kit was first released and uh, Beast of War made the, you know, what was it? The, the half meter long, you know, mega space station. The huge thing, yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm very keen to make, I think we previewed it in the Amphan Calendar, kind of Mega Station 1 is what Dave's calling it, which is, I think it's it's something ludicrous, like it's either 12 or 24 of those individual military segments all lined up together to make this big circle. And I'm very keen to make one of those when I get enough farts for it and take it to some shows. So that's going to be insanely big. It's going to be sort of, yeah, sort of this sort of stuff, a few feet across, I reckon two feet across to make it. Um, be cool. Definitely yeah. a show piece. Well, I've kind of been wanting to do something rules. like that, but every time I pull the kid out, I'm like, oh, I don't really know where I want to start. And then I keep on chickening out of doing my big project. <laughs> yeah, you just have to start building and then sort yeah. of expand from there, I think, is the way that I've ever done it in the past. Not on top of the, the massive guns that you have on that defense grid, but the, the special rules that are on the, the space station too, I think they've designed them very well in a, assisting you in your fleet in certain ways too. You know, the high yeah, ships or increase the spikes on the enemies. It's kind of yes. a cool idea. It's one of the things we really wanted to make sure with them is that they weren't just affecting how victory points work, because particularly with all the different scenarios you can play in Dropley, what might work really well in one game doesn't necessarily work in another. And messing with victory points is a bit more, it has a lot more sort of future ramifications than you might think. So making sure those space stations, although they act as space stations, they do something for your fleet, not just for your ground game. I think that's really important for them. I didn't initially 
initially when we were talking about Rumble Slam, my initial comments was going to be something along the lines of, where else can we find your fingerprints? But it's probably easier to ask where we can't find your fingerprints at this point. Because it seems like you have your hands in every pie that company's making. Yeah, pretty much. Um, I get to sort of poke a prod at different things going around. Um, you'd be, I think a lot of people would be surprised at how small the company still is. Um, we have maybe a dozen people in the design department, um, which includes photographers and web designers and um, anyone that makes the 3D MDMC as well. Um, so yeah, it, it's a very small team. We are still a very small company. Um, so it's not hard to have your fingers in a lot of pies when there's not that yeah. many pies around. <laughs> I mean, for, for people like us that kind of covered everything that you guys were doing as it went, as certain departments shut and then reopened, and that was actually significant news, it became a little bit... Because obviously a company like Games Workshop, etc., that's not going to happen because they're big enough to get around that. But you can't really well, do that you, in a smaller team. You say that with Games Workshop, they stopped um, any releases last year, didn't they, during COVID? They, they stopped, stopped all releases, and then they had like limited numbers of stock they could sell each day or something, didn't they? It sort of hit everyone, even up to their level. That they were that far ahead that it didn't really make a huge difference. Mm-hmm. They delayed for like four weeks or five weeks off the top of my head, but they were that far in front. Like, if anything, COVID mm-hmm. just proved how far ahead they were, yeah. which we'd kind of always knew, but nobody really knew how far in front they were. Mm-hmm. And it pretty, became pretty obvious that they were at least 18 months in front of themselves, which is kind of terrifying, really. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, they've got masses and masses of support staff from like, anyone working yeah. in their design department. It's huge now. I remember back And they've been doing it for so long. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they, when I worked for them, they, they had large offices with a lot of people. In. It is oh. so much bigger than that. But, yeah, we're, we're still sort of half a dozen people doing game design. And, you know, it, it, with our company, it gets to the point where if there's extra work that needs to be done in a different department, you can fully expect to be sort of sent off to another department. Last week, I was in the assembly line and putting things together as well. When, when shows come around and Kickstarters come about, then everyone's all hands on deck. Uh, like when we talk about Rumble Slam, Rumble Slam um, when I first joined up, um, we did all the design and stuff. And after my design work was done, I went straight out to the assembly line and made those Kickstarter like packages to send out. Yeah. Um, like completely, yeah, fulfilled those Kickstarters. So I was in the resin room pouring resin for some of it as well. Like it's. it's We've expanded since then, but it's still, yeah, we are still quite a small company. Surprisingly small, I think, for the amount of games that we have. Well, on on the topic of, you know, poking every pie in the in, in your uh, product line, like the MDF, MDF terrain kits, like, how, what what is the design process on that? Like, start to finish, you know, like... Um, so we start off with, so we've got uh, three full-time members of staff doing MDF design at the moment. Uh, one of them has just transitioned over, as we used to have four, one of them should transition over to photos as well. Um, but they sort of get a project for themselves for, for however long it's going to take, set a sort of timeline for how long they want. We say, this particular game system could do with some, some love and can make some of that game system. Um, we have no pretenses in the office, particularly of, oh, I know this is called Savage Domain, but we all know what we're making here. Like, <laughs> we, we know what game this is for. Um, so we make sure that we know what kind of rules and things you need for the game to make it work. So like all well, our like drop zone, our sci-fi XC, drop zone CV yeah. is made to make sure that each thing can store a certain amount of troops in there and has a certain number of floors and will actually work properly within the game. Um, like you're able to fly over things six inches high, so everything has to be either six inches high and higher or below that, and so we want people to fly that sort of thing. Um, so we start off with that, we decide 
how many kind of kits we want to make and then the designers are free to just make the things they want to do so they, they go through um find some research things of what what they want to sort of visually look at um and then start building it's usually you know start with square and work off cause easiest way to do it um we we are we design in 3d we design in, in google sketchup um and then flatten them all down and get them test cuts if they go together make changes come back uh, we do group crits on everything, literally everything in our company we get group crits on. If someone's got something they finish, they bring it up and go, who wants to look at this and say anything? And it's it's a really nice environment because it means that no one has any sort of like huge ego about it. If, if you say, hey, I really like, like I've made this and I really like it, or I go, hey, look at these rules. I think they're really good. And someone goes, that's really broken. And I'm like, okay, it is. You don't always it. see that with your own work either, though. So it's kind mm. of important that you are in an environment where you can feel comfortable to do that. Yeah, absolutely. Like, there's a lot of times where one person, particularly the scenery science, a really obvious one, some person makes something that's really, really nice. You go, that's really cool. Can you fit a 40 mil base in there? Because these models go in 40 mil bases. Yeah. Uh, you can't. Okay, bear with me. I'll go, I'll go away. I'll make it yeah. a little bit bigger and then you can, and it's a bit more gainable. Um, and yeah, so from there, you sort of do, we do crits, particularly during COVID. We've been doing a lot of um, sort of 3D crits on the on SketchUp, like sharing our screens and you know taking it apart piece by piece on there. Um, then it gets test cut. We crit again, and we go and probably get two or three test cuts done. And once it's done, it gets sent off to the to the, I say sent off to the um, photographers at the other end of the room, and they take the photos. And then we sit on it for however many months until the release schedule comes around. <laughs> Is there any particular scale that's harder to design for? I would imagine the smaller stuff's harder, but that's a guess. It depends on the designer. Um, Scott designs most of our Sci-Fi X stuff, most of our drop zone scenery, and he's very good at making each three mil NDFPs work as something different in it. I'm not so good at the, the ten mil stuff. I, I don't do that very well. Um, I find I don't, don't my stuff is most of the Streets of Venice range is the stuff that I've been doing. Um, all of the modular scenery that you can put together for that is mine. Um, but I struggle with the next actually. <laughs> I, I struggle with the sci-fi gothic stuff as well. But we've got a couple of designers who are excellent. To so the modular stuff I would imagine comes with another level of complexity in it <laughs> yes. because it has to all work together. Work together. Yeah. Are you doing that because you enjoy the challenge or <laughs> no? <laughs> no. <laughs> um, no. So the. Uh... From speaking from my personal experience with the Streets of Venice stuff, um, we started with a long time ago. We had a few other designs doing Streets of Venice, and you had all these individual buildings. That's great, particularly for games like um, Infinity or even Malifaux and things like that, having individual buildings where you've got very clear lines of sight, and that's the building. That's all fine. But with Carnival, like, it's all everything is traversable and you go up different levels and across things and the city of Venice is so tightly packed that everything needs to be quite close together. So we started looking at how Venice actually looks compared to how the boards we're making actually look. The boards we're making look like pretty much any other skirmish war game, which is building you know, space, building space, you know, everything spread out. We thought Venice doesn't look like that. It looks like building, 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 tight alley, building, building, building. Um, so this modular idea sort of came into being. We thought, it wouldn't it be good if we made a lot of small kits that you could put together to make these massive city blocks sort of things? Um, and that took a while. That took quite a while. It, uh, one of the strangest yeah. things, we I started designing them. I, I got them all cut and put them down. I was like, yeah, this looks really good. And put it down. And one sort of building made up of four different things took up a quarter of the board because each building was a good size for someone to live in. But when you put them all together, it was too much for a game. So 
So yeah. if you see one of the sort of, um, I think we sell like uh, four to five pound Streets of Venice kits, which is one tiny little building. And if you look at it on its own and you think, well, that's, that's a cupboard. That's not, that's not a building. You can't live there. <laughs> but when you combine it with lots of other things, you make a full sort of scale building and then you've got lots of places to hide and lots of places to run and jump and that's how it worked. Um, but it took quite a lot of time to make that modular system work. And the one that works on the Streets of Venice one doesn't work on Industrial Hive. It doesn't work on the um, Savage Domain because they go together in different ways. It means every essentially every time you make something modular, you've got to have very distinct design rules, which doesn't work for every single thing. So yeah, it's so. it's hard, but it's worth it, I think. Well, not to fanboy too much here, having been in this kind of hobby since 98 and seeing terrain evolve, I think the MDF terrain, one, has been the best thing to happen to the hobby. And two, I think TT Combat is a very much front runner. There's some other ones that I really like out there too, but as far as I think I think you guys are, are one of the front runners as far as great terrain for multiple types of genres. You know, you got your old world, you got your, you know, your sci-fi gothic, you know, I, I just, I, I love the stuff. And that, that's probably why I was wanting to like, you know, what the, the start to finish, you know, time frame, like, you know, how, how it, how it goes through a build process. That's very kind of you to say, thank you. Um, yeah, yeah, I, I think MDF Terrain is one of the biggest things to happen in the hobby for scenery, because you know, especially nowadays, you look at some of the prices that Games Workshop have on their scenery, particularly, and it's, it's far and above what you could really realistically spend on scenery. I know it's, it's yeah. tricky because no, no one wants to buy scenery, no one wants to paint scenery, but once you've done it, you go, yeah, I'm really glad I did that. But that initial yeah, purchase... What are talking initial about? Effort, Painting scenery yeah. is the most fun part of the hobby. It's not choring at all. It's, it's awful to do, but once you finish it, it's, I feel like it's the most rewarding bit of it because you've got a board, you've got however much stuff that you've got on board, and you go, this isn't just for me, this is for everyone to play with, and there's something much more sociable about that, I think. Yeah, yeah I, I will say I pr- probably the worst thing you guys do is you make your kit so affordable, it's just like, I'll just get three. <laughs> And then I'll, oh, wait, now I've got three to build and paint to put together. <laughs> yeah, I've still got my three Eastern Empire buildings I need to build. I've got a bin down here of stuff I've put together, and behind me, I still have, I haven't even unwrapped it yet. So, thanks. <laughs> I think I'm counting seven, still in the plastic over there. My wife's very happy because I get to make my own paint it and then take it to the office, keep it there, and they go, hey, this is cool, we'll keep it on the shelves. And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> I, um, I just have a room dedicated for all my stuff. It has to stay in the room, though. That's fair. Yeah. We have a garage, and, and there's some stuff in my room. But you can see pictured behind me. I have a little closet right now, but I'm getting a full bedroom. I'm getting a full room again when I get down to Florida. So my wife keeps threatening to relegate me to the garage and <laughs> putting put off as long as I can. Cause it's cold out there in the winter. Just if she relegates you out to the garage, make lots and lots of noise until she upgrades you again. The garage is just so noisy; everything echoes in there. It wouldn't be like this if I was inside. Exactly. We um we moved last and year. And it can't be that cold. It's, it doesn't get very cold. Yeah, we, we moved last year during the pandemic um, to the other side of town, and we're, I mean, about three minutes walk from our local hobby shop, which is amazing. Um, oh, wow. So once they open up and they, they open up for gaming, then that's where I'm going to be all the time, because that's really nice. And they, they've, um, <laughs> it's really sweet. I walk past there the other day, and they've just put a Carnivale display in the window. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, we're gonna, I'm going to do all of my gaming there, I think, once the board opens up again. Yeah. Um, any idea when we will start to see some rather large large drop zone stuff the behemoths I, feel like they're on the verge of tipping over we've been seeing yeah. pictures for a while 
hopefully this year i'm hoping so um the behemoths are there's something else entirely for what we've done as a company is is basically the main reason why they've taken so long to do um there's been obviously there's there's been production issues with drop zone for a little while and hopefully we're, we're just about on the end of that now there's sort of half a dozen models i think missing now on the tt combat store um and after that's all done we decided we're gonna not do any behemoths until that happens that should have been done last year but obviously covid shut us down for however long yeah um and it, it really affected rest of production last year because we could only have a certain number of people at the warehouse at any one time. And when you're producing in the warehouse, then generally speaking, our rooms for production aren't that very that big at all. Um, so we have to social distance means that it just meant that we had fewer staff running fewer shifts, basically, which is a bit of a pain. But, you know, as far as things go during the pandemic, we got off quite lightly, so we're not going to complain too much. Um, but yeah, the behemoths are great. They're, um, we've shown off the PHR one and the Scourge one so far. Um, all of the big ones. I think we've seen a leg of the Sheltari or something. Maybe it was a yeah, yeah. The model hasn't been done, but there are pictures in Battle for Earth um, for all of them, which are based on Dave's initial um, 3D sculpts of them. Um, and they're, yeah, I have, we haven't had all of them come out yet. They'll, they'll likely be released one at a time because they're humongous kits and it's the kind of thing yeah. you want to get right. Like, there's no point in rushing something out to have all five at once, but, you know, we can't actually fulfill the orders of it. There's, that's silly to do. Um, well, they so, yeah, much that much that nobody wants to buy them. Exactly. They're, the, we, they're big kits and they've got to be good kits um, to make yeah. it worthwhile. Uh, but, yeah, I'm hoping that they're going to be later this year. Um, things, again, because of COVID, everything... Everything was meant to be happening last year was happening this year, and scheduling has been all thrown back. Like, so we're yeah, running on the sort of edge of our seat. We'll, we'll get there. Um, I know that we've got some the next batch of restocks for Drop Zone. I think should be the next release for Drop Zone. Um, I can't say well, I don't know what date that is on hand, but yeah, the, the remaining things that weren't in the last one, I think, should be coming with a few extras, which we accidentally teased with some rules that I put up by mistake. <laughs> I heard about that. <laughs> that. That was on me. That that's on me. I didn't um, know that it was your fault, but I did hear about that. Yeah. I yeah. think that was talked about on the TT Agents Discord. It's it was one of those things we um we try and work when we're doing playtesting, we try and playtest from the proper statutes whenever we do it, because it's easier. Like the, the sooner we can get those made, the sooner you can play. Because there's no point in sitting down to play test a game and all of your stats are handwritten notes and say oh it does this and it does this and you go yeah. did i change that this time I'm like, i don't know let's just carry on because it, it takes twice as long to do anything so yeah we try to get all these statues made in advance and then like then the export them for the public well done <laughs> <laughs> then moving back to drop fleet we saw protective rumors of and pictures of launch assets specific to the various factions are we going to be seeing those in the future still or yeah they're coming but i have decided to put those on a little bit of a hold until we decide exactly what we want to do with them because we had really awesome feedback on it um when we put out to the public it wasn't just the overwhelming keep them the same size though it was all the comments that people put through afterwards that were really really useful um and one of things that we realize that like, there's, there's a few things that we play in-house because we've got however many more we've got and that's just how we do it um but one of the big things that came up was that a lot of people when they're using launch assets particularly fighters is that they just put a dice and say how many there are because you get so many bases of launch assets and we're like oh, we thought that's just the thing that we did no okay if everyone does it then there's obviously something fundamentally 
not wrong, but fundamentally skewed about how this actually works. So maybe you want to rethink how that's going to work. And particularly with these faction-specific one chances where you buy them because they're cool and you want to reflect your list. You don't want to be just putting one down and be like, oh, you know, who cares? Um, so we're going to have a rethink about exactly how we're going to use them and then they'll come out. So they're, they're not they're not very, very soon, but they should be coming out, yeah, without too much delay. No. I'll just add in, I never picked up the launch assets as a Shaltari player because it's like, I don't want UCM launch assets for my Shaltari fleet. I want Shaltari launch assets. I want yeah, that Shaltari fair. torpedo. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> for all the things that have it. I accidentally I mean, brought know, two kits. Future torpedoes, maybe. <laughs> I accidentally brought two kits because I'm an idiot. I brought it thinking, oh, I've been meaning to buy that. And then I got home and realized I had another. It's like now I have twice as. I have now have like four more lots of assets that I'm ever going to use. I mean, thank you for supporting Droffly Commander. I do what I can. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'd like to do them I think they're, they're cool. I, I understand why they did the original just one classic screw for every single faction because there's, there's no way that the launch assets would have made enough back to tool those plastic screws. Weirdly enough, like 3D printing, resin casting, all of that stuff has come on leaps and bounds in the last sort of 10, 15 years. Plastic molding still just as prohibitively expensive as it was. Um, and it's one of the reasons why things like resistance drop zone haven't got their plastic starter on the screw yet. Um, we hope so in the future, we hope it will be, because um, they're extremely popular as a faction, but we need to make sure that everyone, essentially everyone that's bought the resin used to buy the plastics if we do them, and that's a tricky sell. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah we're talking tens and tens so, of thousands. On the topic of uh, making more kits, uh, so there's that uh, that Space Dragon that was teased for a little bit. Um, the Stellaris Space Dragon. Any thoughts of, of bringing that in? So what? Yeah, that's... Bruce, um... I didn't... You, what? Uh, I was explaining what you were talking about, the Stellaris Ate the Dragon. Yeah, this, we yeah, did yeah, Stellaris... Yeah, yeah. A Kickstarter for some Stellaris miniatures, uh, what was it, not last year, 2019, wasn't it, about end of 2020. Yeah. Um, I'd like to say yes, but because it's a licensed product, it's not as easy as saying yes, unfortunately. Everything else would be like, yeah, I'll put them really shit whenever I want, but this isn't down to me. Um, yeah, the, the whole what about thing, Rather than Stellaris specifically, what about... Like just generally that feeling of like actual like living monsters type thing, like Cthulhu-esque type. For yeah, why not? For Dropfleet, you'd have to talk to Dave about that. That's on him. Well, that's true. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, Dave, yeah. You you own the key to the basement, don't you? Can't you just open the door and ask? <laughs> or did you let Louis have the key again? <laughs> Dave Dave is also a hologram now. We replaced him with all the things as well. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, the yeah, the biscuits whales, every six months were too like. expensive, were they? <laughs> yeah, some giant space whales for Droplet would be great. Um, but that's all. All of the particular um, law and design-wise, Dave is still completely in charge of Droplet. Um, anything that comes through, usually when we decide what to make, it's a conversation between all of us as what comes first rather than what comes out. Um, but yeah, we, we sort of leave it to him. So yeah. And if you want that, then send a letter campaign to Dave. I'm not giving you his address. <laughs> oh, um, I, I was just going to say, you know, like, you know, just bring in like a Cthulhu ship, you know, like, you know, have him on the bridge, like terrorizing, you know, everything. You've, you've got a Cthulhu. He's, he's he's called the Cthulhu. Over God. I, no, I, no, I mean, actual Cthulhu, though. <laughs> I think he needs to play Carnival instead. Carnival is very tempting. The Carnival group were trying to get me to pull my old minute mod i've got the old metal models from the original kickstarter yeah still somewhere all perfectly valid that we have rules for every single one of the original ones oh yeah yeah 
Don't have excuses. No, I know. Because that's what I really need. More games to be playing. <laughs> yeah, more games with less time is always the problem, isn't it? Yep. Hey, at least that one's not D6s. It can't hate me as much as every other game. <laughs> yeah, wait till you try it. <laughs> you can still roll a 1 on a D10. I know, but D10s tend to go a little bit better with me. Wild West Exodus treats me system. very nicely most oh, of the good. time. Yeah, Carnival is the dice ball system suits me really well because you just roll as many dice as you can, but at least one of them's going to hit. It's fine. Um, PT Combat have been using like the living rulebook approach for most of their games for a while. Um, are you able to talk a little bit about how this has been working and how other parties' feedback has been used in the balance process? I mean, for me, yeah. it's the TT agents obviously plays a part in that. Mm-hmm. Some more than others. Um, I can't say I've helped a lot in the... I'm not good with helping with broken, balanced rules. I- I'm good with final things when they're done. It's like, yep, I like that. <laughs> that that's just helpful. That's not. It's, it's still helpful. Um, yeah, we, we took a transition to a living rulebook and digital format rules when we did Carnivale. Carnivale was kind of a testbed for it. Um, yeah. We had... So this came about when we made Rumble Slam. Um, and this is really lifting the veil behind some things that happened with TT Combat. When we made Rumble Slam, we had all the cards. Each, each character in Rumble Slam has a card that it comes with that shows all the rules. And um, personally, I love doing that. Um, it's one of the reasons I really like X-Wing, is that you, you get all your cards for all your ships, and any upgrade, you have a card that says, this is the upgrade this ship has. It's really easy from the other side of the table to see what everything else is, even if you don't know exactly who you're fighting against. Um, but when we did Rumble Slam, we had to order an amount of cards in order to make it financially viable, because the more, obviously, the more you order, the cheaper they get individually. Um, and I didn't have very much say as to how many we ordered at the time. That would be Louis' choice. Um, and we ended up quite a lot more cards than we would ever need to use um, because individually the cards were very cheap then, but we just had a lot. And it means that some of the characters in Rumble Slam we can't change the rules for because we've got a stack this high of cards for them to use. Um, and we thought with Carnivale, we don't want that. We, we yeah. like having updated rules. And we saw how, particularly with Drop Fleet at the time, um, there was the community rata going around at the same time that changed quite a lot of ships. And it meant that you've got this really nice rule book that suddenly you can't use if you want to play against anyone that's been playing more than six months. Um, and that's difficult. Um, they all come with their own set of problems, but that's one thing. So we kind of decided we're going to do a physical rule book and get the rules as tight as we can. And then all of the stats for all the characters, that's where the balance changes come. And it's generally speaking, in most games, that's what happens. Like you look at 40k with the chapter brood every year, it's small tweaks to everything to get things more balanced. And you see when the meta settles down, um, change a few things around, we'll shake it up a little bit, which is always nice as well. Um, so yeah, with Carnival, we sort of test-bedded that idea. So we had this gang builder um, made, which was the first time we'd ever done anything like that. Um, and Carnival is a fairly straightforward system for it. There's, there's very easy gang build rules. Um, the actual units, like the characters that you take, have very few options to them, so it's quite straightforward. Um, and that, to start off with, came out with, I'm going to say mixed results to start off with straight after it launched. Um, because people were very used to physical copies of cards and having a rule book with everything in. There's um, not a company that hasn't had to deal with that in the digital age, though. No, it is. There's there's problems with both approaches always, um, but this yeah. is the way we decided to go. But as time's gone on, and we said at the very start, this is how we're starting off. If everybody wants cards and it, that's the way it goes, then we'll change things and we'll print cards. Um, and then after sort of six months, we've done a couple of balance passes with Carnival. Because it was a brand new game, there's always going to be stuff that needs tweaking yeah. fairly straight away. And after six months, all of those questions of we want cards, we want cards, they just sort of petered off to nothing. 
And now every now and again, we get people saying, I'd really like this in a card. I love that we can change them, but can we get print on demand service? And that's something we're still looking into the best way of doing. Um, but yeah, that, that went really well for Carnivale after, after, particularly after the initial sort of plast and removal. Um, but then when Drop Zone came around for its second edition, uh, we decided like, absolutely, this is definitely the way to do it. Because Drop Zone's always been the best of game where the meta could shift drastically. And like Dave saw it in the very first edition, um, if listeners who are around for the first edition of Drop Zone, they ordered the first edition rulebook, and within, I think it was within one month, they sold out of that, and they went to 1.1, which had huge changes to the units, because they released it went, oh, shit, there's so much stuff that's wrong here. And it always happens, no matter how many people yeah. you've got to play test, no matter how, many, how much time you've got, there's always going to be stuff that, when you get out into, into the wild, everything's broken. Look at um, Corvettes in when Drop Fleet were released. Um, there was that whole kerfuffle with Corvettes being extremely, extremely good. Um, yeah, always happens. So yeah, when, when Drop Zone 2.0 came around, we decided that's definitely the way to do it. So we've got we developed this um, army builder, uh, which is still in development. It's something that's ongoing development, um, and it's been received very well since. Again, since the balance passes have come round, that gets received better every time because every time we do a balance pass, everything is updated for free. With the Drop Zone rulebook, every time we do a balance pass, and that everything is updated for free for you to download. And yeah, you only need to compare it to. Again, I, I don't mean to be like calling on games workshop all the time but they you you know you have to pay however many pounds or dollars for a new chapter approved every year and yeah if you bought one in 2020 the chance of you getting your money's worth is going to be quite slim yeah um, so yeah doing that for free means that people would see that we're updating the game to like reflect the meta to reflect the changes we want to make and keeping things fresh all the time especially when new units start coming through like we see in drop fleet when new units come through it kind of tinkers with the meta for everyone so you can keep things updated keep things balanced i think it's a great way of doing it um it, again it doesn't come without its problems but i think going forward it, it's a really nice way for every company to look to do and another thing that's worth touching on um i, I don't really know if everybody's necessarily noticed this but if you pay enough attention to the groups around most of your games, you will see that there are people from the staff that are actively in those communities. Um, somebody that's no longer with you, Chris, used to be one of those people uh, quite actively. Mm -hmm. um, you're quite frequently popping up in the Rumble Slam um, <laughs> to the point where you were joking around about this interview earlier in the week. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it's one of those things that we've always had from the very start because we love the games. That's it's very simple, the reason that we're in there. Um, you see a couple of people like Joe and Kim um, are in the groups. They usually chat during work time because some of it is part of their jobs and often it's because they're doing something else that's loading and they're like, yeah, let's have a look on Facebook and see what's going on. Let's look on yeah. Discord. Um, I know Chris is still super active in the Discord. I've been chatting to him this weekend. He's doing a little bit of freelance work for us on the um, drops and builder as well because there's a few deep-seated bugs that needed to be removed on there. Um, and yeah, he, he's still definitely very, very keen. He, um, how is that builder going? Yeah, it's okay. He, I, I assume that's what you're leaning into there. It's difficult. That difficult, but that builder is. There's a lot to it. <laughs> yeah. Um, there was yeah. a fan question around what's going on with that. Um, <laughs> that yeah. So well, I might just touch on that now. <laughs> yeah. So when when we did the big balance pass, the two point two version of the rulebook, um, when we did that balance pass a couple of months ago, uh, it was basically rebuild the database from scratch because everything, every unit got some change. And I said in the yeah. post, I think. Most of the units that got changed were just a name change, but it became very apparent early on that the best way to do it is just completely scrap off what we had in the database and rebuild everything from there. And with that happening, it meant bugs all over the place. 
essentially. Lots of little ones. Most of the bigger ones we sorted quite quickly. Um, but yeah, there, there, there's a few bugs, and it was one of our new web designers that was in charge of it. So um, yeah. the drop zone builder, the Carnival builder, they all sort of evolved bit by bit as time's gone on. Um, I doubt. Uh, I meant some of your listeners might remember the early Carnival builder had a few problems in it as well. But because it's a, it, it's essentially a one, maybe two person team at the time working on the art builder, um, and yeah. they're not full time on any particular one either. It does take a little while to get going. And for, for this one, the drop zone one, there are bugs that we did not understand because the army builder is so so complex in the back end of it um, that it sort of. Chris can look at it and within you know a few hours figure out what's wrong. But because Chris, Chris, luckily he um, for him he got a new job um, and he went, he's moved away just down the road actually to Plymouth um, and he's he's doing very well. His new one. we're all very happy with. Well, he was very excited about it. I certainly remember that. Mm. We yeah, did he, not he's... discuss that at the time because it was decided that it was better off not to. Yeah, he's he's um yeah he, he got a new job and he's he's doing really well. So it's sort of an opportunity that he couldn't pass up. Um, so yeah, he moved on and yeah, we was like I say, he's working this weekend actually doing some stuff for us. We're in chat in touch all the time. We bought into the office a couple of weeks ago. So there's no problem sort of bad blood or anything. It's just that he had something that he wanted to go on with and yeah, absolutely. He, he, it's good that he did. He, he's very happy. Um, he was up for a change anyway. Um, him and his, his family have moved over and yeah, yeah, he's doing really well. But yeah, it meant that for us, we had a bit of catch up to do because he developed that system. Yeah. It's, it's a something that particularly for each game, each game has to address the builders slightly differently. Um, and the drop zone one, drop zone is not an easy game to make an lock in. There's no, because there's a lot more comp. Systems. There's a lot more comp, and it's also a lot bigger. Yes. Yeah. There's kind of is skirmish and yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it, it's a complicated system, and learning it from the back end is—it's it, basically learning to code from scratch each individual one. Um, any programmers listening will know that if you go in and try and figure out someone else's code, you're going to have a good time. Um, and yeah, that was, that was the case with this one. It was—it was just a, an unfortunate situation. But um, I'm sure George can relate with. to that, given that's his everyday life as well. <laughs> um, now we've spoken a bit about the Drop Universe. We've spoken a bit about the Carnavale Universe. Not everybody may necessarily know this, but none of these games are actually games that were originally made by TT Combat. They were acquired over time. Uh, not that yeah, that's ever true. been hidden. That's been fairly public knowledge. But if you come into these games late, you may just assume that this company's always made this. Um, drop The Drop Universe being acquired versus the other two, Carnivale and Home Raiders, um, I imagine that those two things would have felt very different behind the scenes. Uh, I mean, Drop Universe, we covered a lot in our previous lives. Um, but from one perspective, your behind the scenes perspective hasn't really been talked about as much, really. Um, but I mean, do you want to talk a little bit about like your, at least from your point of view, how that went down? Cause you were very yeah. much in the depths of mm. the company at that stage. Yeah. Um, we don't, we don't really talk much about it because there's a lot of, it's not an easy it's time boring for anyone in it. It is. There's, there's a lot of business stuff. Um, so when um, Carnivale, Carnivale was bought by TC Combat just before I joined the company. Um, so I sort of got the tail end of it. Um, it was bought by, uh, it was created by a man called David Esbury. Um, he's a Spaniard who was extremely good at making games. His game is very, very nice. Uh, the original version, very, very good. 
Um, but he got to a point with it where it was expanding at a rate faster than he was able to dedicate time to. Um, so he decided that he wanted to pass to someone else so that they could take the ratings and make it what he wanted without having to sort of change too much of how he, he was able to produce it. Um, so we took that and then from the very outset it was very much a, we've got the game, we're going to make the models sort of sell as we can, but particularly because it was literally garage operation for producing the models, a lot of the models were in dire straits. Um, so they knew, like the company knew from the very start that they had to completely remake molds and at that point it was make, remake molds, take it to Kickstarter and make a new version of the game because um, it's a uh, it's a nice rules. The original edition was a very nice rule set, but it was geared a little bit more heavily in the RPG sort of route, um, which meant the appealing to a wider audience was harder. And one of the reasons for that was that David wasn't able to produce MDF scenery that we were able to do. So it sort of seemed like yeah. a match made in heaven for it. Um, so yeah, we made this new version of the rule um, and uh, David sort of sold his IP for Carnival and Home Raiders at the same time, sold those IPs and set back. Um, and when Hawk was in discussions, um, yeah, I was knee-deep in the company at that point, no, no way, means of getting out. Um, Dave came down to see us a few times. Uh, I think there's no mystery of the fact that they were having difficulty fulfilling their Joffrey Kickstarter um, yeah. and it affected production issues around. Um, there's more behind the stuff scenes that behind the scenes stuff that is um, trickier to talk about because it's, it's much more personal level for Dave um, and it ends up being understandably a very hard time for him because his company who he'd been you know, CEO of for 10 years at that point was uh, yeah, going to go some very difficult times so he was in talks with us to first of all just outsource all production and then very shortly afterwards it became it needed to be a different conversation entirely um, so yeah it, it was like that him and Hawk were going to be brought into TT Combat um, we were going to fulfil any outstanding debts they had including the drop for Kickstarter because there's still quite a lot of pledges that hadn't been sent and a lot of half cent pledges for things that um, tokens and mats and things like that um, so we fulfilled all the rest of it and then yeah, brought Dave in to come to work for us um, there were without sounding so dismissive there were casualties along the way with Hawk um, because the company yep. was not working well in a very very real sense um, and it's unfortunate that that's the case it was but it, it was a case of either there was going to be a period where the, some of the old staff were going to be let go and the company was going to move in with us or there was going to be no more drop to drop fleet and I think this is the better way of doing it because I love drop to drop fleet so it worked out yeah. for me and, and to some extent I mean, and we covered kind of this at the time and said something along these lines, but there were some roles that realistically it's just not going to be two people because it was a one-person job. Mm -hmm. um, very generalised, and I'm not pointing at anyone in particular. Um, and I can happily say I've never been in a management role where I've had to fire anyone. I don't ever already, because it's... I have seen the toll that it takes on people having to mm -hmm. do that. I wouldn't... I don't want to be in that role myself, so... Yeah. Well, at the time, I was... Still a designer. I was working just about working on Carnivale, I think, when we bought Talk, um, but mostly focused on Rumble Slam at the time. Um, and I had a manager, and he had a manager, and so most of that stuff was handled behind closed doors that I didn't. I was really privy to. Um, it was yeah. only sort of. I think it was about nine, maybe a year later, nine months, maybe a year later, that I became in charge of the department and then ended up working closer with Dave. Um, so there's a lot of stuff from those early days. Dave sort of the behemoths were a really good example of that actually when when we came in, Dave was like, I've got a really good idea of what I want to work on. I work on these massive 
models that are huge and yeah, they're going to dwarf everything else. And there was no one really to say, are they too big, Dave? Is, is, is that going to be a good idea? And he's like, I'm doing it anyway. So he sort of warded himself off, did his thing. And yeah, it was only sort of a few months later when we came back to it. Like, actually, let's have some back and forth and make this work. And it took a little while for Dave and I to start working together in the best way. But I think we've, we've pretty much got it down now. Um, yeah. You guys still have the big ship or did that end up because that was up for sale yeah. at one point well yeah, it was up for it. offer at one point yeah they, they put the um did the avenger which is a drop fleet frigate in the scale of drop zone so it's it's yeah. huge absolutely it's massive. insane I remember the first time I saw it before we had anything to do with Hawking was a UK Games Expo. You walk in the door and it's the first thing you see. Oh my god, this is a game I need. Um, yeah, we still have that. It's out in the garage for us. So we've got a garage room out at the moment with the metal spinners. It's it's seen better days because it's gone through sort of three different location moves before it even came to us because there was a lot of um, changing of hands. Um, Dave put it up for sale. Uh, I can't remember what it was a few years ago, but he always said yeah. it was just for sale to the right person. If you if you got the right person, and then he, he might not even take money for it. It was just a case of if you found the right person to collect it, then they have it. But otherwise, it was for just a show. Hey, look, yeah. this is what we've done. It's great. It's an amazing thing. I'd love to get it fixed up. I, I think the plan is to get it fixed up and take the shows. Um, but when shows start again and we actually go in on this, that would be a nice thing. Yeah, yeah, it's very cool. Oh, yeah. It, it, it's, it's it became a talking point for a long time for a very good reason. Because yeah, nobody else awesome. has ever, nobody else has ever done anything like that, and I doubt anybody will again soon. No, it's ridiculous the amount of time and effort that you poured into it. Um, yeah, and there's something to say as well for Dave, the head of the company, spending a long time making a vanity project. Um, <laughs> but when you see it, you think, yeah, actually, that kind of is worth all that time spent. It did draw a lot of attention, so because it, it got me playing Dropfleet, like. <laughs> There you go. There was, um, yeah, the Games Expo. You saw that. You saw that giant ship, and then behind it, it was come along and build a spaceship. Here's a plastic screen. Build what you want. I'm like, oh, yeah. okay, that's great. I love that. Yeah, really, really way to get people in. Uh, home Raiders. Is there any plans that you can talk of of refreshing that range or getting it back in stock at some point? Or nothing I can talk about. Um, nothing. I, I don't have anything. I don't know. There was um, talks at some point about we're going to look at it at some point yeah. when we get the chance, um, but I wasn't sure it, if it had ever got any further than that. It's the same with Relics, unfortunately. It's one of the, the two of those games who um they haven't been wildly, wildly popular since we took it because I mean not having the stock of them for a long time is obviously a, a reason for that. But um we judge demand based on the amount of time that you've got and. Yeah, yeah. They, they haven't been high on the priority list. I'd, I'd love to do something with them in the future. I've played both of them a fair bit, and they're fun. Um, Home Raiders, Raiders, for those that are wondering, yeah. is... It, it's a game that doesn't use miniatures, because the creatures that you use are actually in real scale. They're, yeah, they're not, like the borrowers from the old TV show, running around your actual house. So you can play this tabletop game in the middle of your bookshelf. I think one of the best things about Home Raiders is it's a game designed for kids. It, it's yeah. like the, the entry-level game for kids to get into tabletop gaming, which is something that doesn't exist in the world at all at the moment. Even Games Workshop, like, they, they've got simplified versions of the rules, and like you know, you've got um, Age of Sigmar is a is an easy game to get into with only a few pages of rules, but it's still you know it's twelve plus realistically. But Home Raiders is something yeah. you can play with your kids when they're younger. And they come in and say, oh, what's this that, that mum and daddy are making? And you go, oh, okay, th these are miniatures, and here's one that we can play together. That, that's pretty cool. I think that's great. Very wholesome. So on the on the topic of uh, uh, of other projects and everything, several several years ago, uh, we asked Dave this question, and, and we didn't get much from him, but uh, is there still any uh, thoughts or ideas about a, a drop squad game 
but he didn't you know, get anything where, from where you take the the the. We got smidgets. No, he said no. Well, I, I believe what he said it was, was like uh, I can't talk about that. <laughs> we Honestly, have we have audio evidence somewhere of this conversation. You don't even have to buy Dave a beer or anything. You just get go, Dave. Would you like to talk about something you're not allowed to talk about? And it's like yes, here you go. I was like, going, Dave, no, you can't do that. But meanwhile, at Christmas time, or was it Christmas time last year? I'm pretty sure it was Christmas time this year. It was Dave that said, no, you can't share something because it's not ready. I know. Was it a different Dave? <laughs> I think it's a Dave. No, I think it's just proof of the... adding dots to a Sheltari bottle. He's like, no, 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 no one will understand what it is about with dots. <laughs> <laughs> But anyway, to the question. Uh, of now we know who we commander. need to pester George with. Then we need Dave. Yeah, to drop squad commander. Yeah, a- any any thoughts about doing a a twenty eight mil scale kind of a zone mortalis? You know, based off of the drop universe where you're focusing on the infantry models. I have some very particular thoughts on that subject. The end. We we haven't had we haven't developed it yet. I will say that we it, it's absolutely not in development right now. Um, but it's something that even like back in the early days when when Dave came to talk to us, that was something we really wanted to talk about because twenty eight millimeter drop zone would be awesome. Um, what I really love about the drop universe, particularly the the sort of difference between fleet and zone, is that the things you're capturing in zone and the things you're capturing in fleet is a game of zone. So it'd be nice for the things you're capturing right. in zone to be a game of something else. Um, so it takes place it, it, inside the building. Exactly, it lends itself perfectly. Like personally, um, this is wild speculation. Things that I would like wish listing from a designer. Um, I'd like a sort of two prong approach to it. There's two sort of separate link games to it. You'd have the one which is a sort of Zomortala style single layout, sort of one floor kind of thing, um, where you have a squad that you fight against other people, and then you have a version where you take that and make it 3D, where you've got the full sort of um, building yeah, that you're fighting for. More, more like more like a Necromunda kind of style thing with full. 3D sort of movement. Um, I think it would work really, really well. We, we've talked about it quite a lot in the office. There's things that we'd like, um, and one of the cool things is envisioning all the different sorts of infantry you can get because the drops in infantry, fantastic for the scale, but you can't really. There's not much to it. Um, so being able well, to there's only so much you can do with that scale. Exactly, and being able to make it 28 mil means you could expand on all of the different sort of designs and add any extra details and expand on the law and have it as a sort of um, have a more huge well person-centric um, sort of narrative to the game, which is hard to get in a 10 mil sort of, sort of epic style yeah, battle. Um, being, being able to have it, you know, Johnny PHR Immortal is running around. That, that That's him and he's going to do something. I'd really like that. And I know that some of those things, some of those plans to sort of different infantry types we're thinking about bringing back in and bringing forwards and doing into drop zone as well, because there's a lot of different infantry that there's space to design into it drop zone itself. Push forwards in the future as well. But yeah, I'd, I'd like to. I'd really, really like to do it. It's freeing up enough time around other projects. Yeah. One thing I know a lot of us here in the States are wondering, uh, Lewis, is with the acquisition of Hawk and the TT Combat, the distribution network here in the United States kind of just dissolved completely. I know Donald Roach is kind of hired on, kind of be the North, Af- North America kind of TT agent helper with that. Is there any future plans again for you guys to try and get back into the US market? Because I know a lot of the games I used to go to, the stores, 
heavily carried drop zone and drop fleet. And then once the merger hit, they didn't really have any distribution network to get their resupplies from. The difficult thing with that is that the reason they didn't have it is because there wasn't stock for so long. Like there, there's no way around that. Um, there wasn't stock for fleet and zone when Hawk were in their sort of darkest times for a long time. Mm-hmm. And then it took us a long time to get running because weirdly enough, although we were we bought Hawk, we were a smaller company like worldwide than Hawk. We had a smaller yeah. worldwide network network than they did. Um, so it took a long time to get that going. Um, and the hardest thing for us now is that we have stock and particularly the last sort of few months when we've been building stock up again, we have stock ready to go and we have games that have new releases coming up all the time and it's just convincing individual like independent stores to buy into it. Um, and that's always difficult. But the thing I can really, really ask like any listener that said to that wants drop zone or drop fleet in their local store is just keep asking them. Keep asking, keep asking, keep asking. We've got um, a sister company called Kingsley Distribution who distributes worldwide and does great prices for distribution as well. Um, Golden do still stock us, but it's hard to get them to buy when they haven't got enough people really pestering them all the time. Um, and there's only so much we could do for them up and say, hey, do you want to stop this? There's new stuff, there's new stuff, there's new stuff. Um, if there's not the perceived like, um, demand for it, then they're, they're going to be a tough sell for it. But yeah, anyone listening that wants it, just ask your local store, keep asking, keep asking. And if their distributor doesn't order for them, they can order directly from Kingsley. Okay. All right. Well, if there's not many things in the world have... where you can say that a Australia has a better distribution than the US. Uh, we actually can get yeah. it. It's actually currently massively on sale at the moment from the people that get it in, which I need to ask what's going on there. But I'm guessing it's just end of year stock take, but I need to find out. What were you going to ask, George? I was going to say we got kind of a, two, two more questions to touch on before Captain Sox probably needs to jump out and, and, and take Russell's care of the family and before we move on to the fan questions. Uh, before Bruce falls asleep. Yeah. Um, <laughs> before Bruce falls asleep, yeah. Um, why do you keep listening to us ramble on uh, and prattle about stuff endlessly? Have you heard the radio nowadays? There's nothing on. <laughs> <laughs> That's possibly the perfect answer to that. complete dismissal. <laughs> I love, honestly, I love, I've listened to you guys since, since we took over, actually, I, I think we started chatting way back, like, um, yeah, basically when Hawk sort of got more versions of TC Combat, we started chatting, um, and I've enjoyed the podcast all along. I, I, I try to listen to every single podcast that is about any of our games, any of our games, um, and anyone out there that has a podcast that wants me or anyone from the design team to come on would be happy to come and join me. Um, yeah, we love listening to it. I think you guys are nice, and I, I really enjoy the getting to format as well actually branching out as much as i'd love to say just keep doing drops over drop fleet just 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 talk about me all day long i really love branching out and hearing your views and all the other things going on as well and i hear stuff about different miniature games that i don't know like uh, happening or new releases because we can't keep up with everything um yeah, so yeah it's great I, I really enjoy it i think you guys do a really really good job with that we try. yeah we try. I, I remember you specifically saying that you know if you know living in the tt universe it was nice to hear about some other things that are, are happening because you're so you know tunnel vision on yeah. this is your job this is what you do so um th- then the last one um as you know yeah Bruce i refuse to ask this question with rolling <laughs> dice and 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 we've determined it's because he's in the southern hemisphere so that's the other side of the world as you know the water spins the other way in the in the loop would yep, TT Combat ever consider opening up a dice manufacturing facility so that the dice are made and calibrated for the Southern Hemisphere so that people like Bruce can actually roll decently in their TT games? 
I think the problem you hit on right there is the dice roll the other way. So Bruce, just try rolling, <laughs> try rolling them with the other hand. Problem with this That's argument, a... though, is that Lewis has the same problem, and he's using dice calibrated for your hemisphere. <laughs> you know I buy dice exclusively from Australia. This might be the problem. <laughs> Bruce, we need to set up an intercontinental dice exchange. I need to send you a couple of my Bruce dice. <laughs> I actually have dice where it says Bruce instead of one. Is that not all the faces? No, no. Because <laughs> then I couldn't use them for a real game. I'd be, I'd be told that I'm cheating. <laughs> I would, if, if you roll like me, I wouldn't even bother putting all the other faces on there. Just put the one on there and you know, it's, it's never going to come up with the other ones. Well, that's true. Oh dear. I think the best part of this is that I actually have people that have never believed that it's true. Is it, oh, and then the face when they realise that no, this is not exaggeration, this just does, this just happens. Mm-hmm. We're absolutely cut from the same cloth. Honestly, I really am not allowed to play test properly in the in the office because of my dumb troll. It is that bad. <laughs> when Back in the day when I was big on the games workshop games, I used to play, well I started playing Space Marines and I, obviously, and I had a, a very elite Space Marine army where if you hit with every shot every round, you could probably do enough damage to kill another army. And then I quickly gave up on that and played Tyranids instead with as many Homegons and Termagants as I could just to get the dice. It's like, it's not going to work unless I've got a whole bucket load of dice. If I have that many, I could win. Otherwise, no chance. The, the only have chance you, you ever had orcs? was either Tyranids or Orcs, yeah. Um, one last question before we get to our fan stuff. Is there any particular part of the design process that you enjoy more than the rest? Hmm, that's a good question. Um, breaking the game. That's the bit that I like. Oh, so you and George would get along <laughs> really well. What I really like is, um, and my best example of this is Drop Zone Command Cards. Because Drop Zone, you make the rules, there's your rule book, and that's how the game plays. And then you go, but actually... With this card, I'm cheating. And yeah. with this card, I'm cheating. And it's just, we've got spreadsheets because the, the, um, the overall plan for drop zone command cards is to do command cards for each action um, where you can you miss just answer the fan cards. question. Oh, there we go. Yeah, so, so yeah, <laughs> we, we, we're planning on doing command card decks for like the UCM. So you get uh, 30 cards in that and you get a 30 card command deck in drop zone. Um, but it's a mix and match of whatever cards you want. You just can't take the same card twice. So if Ooh. you if you have so getting say, a deck you building a, aspect to it. Exactly. That, that's a limited amount, but yeah, a little bit of it. So you can sort of customize your cards to play in the way that your army like you want your army to play. Um, and I really like that idea because we've got this massive spreadsheet of what command cards could do and which factions they could belong to to make that happen. Um, and it's literally just a spreadsheet of how can I cheat? How, what's the best way for me to cheat at the game? Oh, this is it. And that's the thing I like. I, think. I really like this. I, I love how you're taking a, a part of the game that, you know, has been a part of the game for so long and you're not calling it like, you know, your command deck. You're like, how can I cheat? I'm going <laughs> to cheat. You know, just... <laughs> There's nothing more rewarding in a game where you're backed into a corner and you think, oh, there's no way I'm going to pull this off. And you pull that one card that you absolutely need at that point. And your opponent knows what's going to happen. They're like, oh, I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do this, and then I'm going to steamroll you. And you go, oh, by the way, trap card. And they go, the one card out of 30 that would spoil my life. That's the thing I like there. I, I, I did have that once. Uh, I had a, you know I was playing an Age of Sigmar game, and this guy had a you know one of the big Treant guys, and it was just swarthing through everything. And I managed to steal the initiative and like have my round of combat go first before his. And legit rolled out of I think eighteen dice, eleven sixes for mortal wounds and wiped it off the board. That just That's doesn't happen. Just the, the statistic impossibility of. 
that's what I love about tabletop gaming in general. There's there's always those moments. Everybody's got that story, or the half a dozen stories, maybe if you're luckier than me, and Bruce. The, where the, 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 the uh, random the random soldier that survived everything. The last gun that blows up a titan, that sort of thing. Or the uh, the the heavy cruiser that goes and takes off, you know, three of your opponent's ships. Mm-hmm. Or blows up and takes all of them out at one time. <laughs> yeah. Or takes out all your ships and you're just screwed. <laughs> it's still a story. My fleet went into battle very confident, and that was the then last we heard dice. of them. <laughs> all right, let's get into some fan questions. I'm going to start off with a fairly general one that you've probably seen asked a few times already anyway. Um, I've kind of combined two questions into one, sort of. Um, there's been a growing support for tabletop simulator tournaments. Uh, there's been a huge trend for it lately. Have you guys considered trying to run a global campaign type thing using that, or uh, or, or it... just support running the tournaments of your own, trying to use that system? Um, I can give the official response. Unfortunately, is that we've been uh, encouraged to not have any particular stance on tabletop simulator yep um because it's fan creation in a third party program that costs money um i know there are add-ons that you can buy for tabletop simulator like there are dlcs you can buy that are licensed for particular games um that's not a resource that we're able to have we, we don't have that sort of scope that we could do that with official license expansions yet um any fan expansions i absolutely could not comment on and absolutely may or may not have tried myself and played more and more less regularly but as an official response we have been instructed that maybe it's best if we just turn a blind eye to everything which is really yeah, sad because great. there's there's been a few people in the community that have put together the, the different modules and run tournaments on them and personally without, without covering that my tt combat logo i've been following on with great interest um on those tournaments but it's annoying we're not actually allowed to yeah officially endorse them so anyone that's running them um good luck to you and if there's anything you need to help with that then i absolutely do not encourage you to get in touch with a tt agent who can pass on the message and might be able to wrestle up some resources <laughs> well unfortunately Lewis, my kids are starting to act up so thanks again it's been great uh george thank, and, thank you george and bruce i'll catch you guys next week thank you, congratulations so. on the uh, on the promotion thank you thank you lewis yes yes you can thank lewis for the fact that we're actually acknowledging your major i know i, I do appreciate that <laughs> Because <laughs> George wouldn't. I just put in my recommendations. That's all. <laughs> Bruce would even know what, what where the socks reference came from. So yeah, he wouldn't. No, I didn't. I kept on asking about whether it was white Bruce, socks or red socks, and nobody yeah, answered me. A little bit. I heard on the, on the previous one a couple of weeks ago talking about it. it was like, I remember one. that. Yeah, the argyle pattern. Yep. There you go. So catch you all later. Thanks again, Bruce. Yeah. Later, socks. All right. Um, I'll put quotes around this next name because I, I'm convinced that this name is a fake one. <laughs> Bob Bobson has a couple of questions. Um, first one is, do you have any, more, any plans for more resin scatter terrain like the shipping and containers and battles? Uh, it, this is drop zone focused because he talks uh, about having on used end scale scenery. Depending on when that was asked, you might already have your answer. We previewed some on Wednesday and work in progress Wednesday. Some air conducts, um, which Ooh. Scott has been editing. Um, the original air conduct pack from Hawk has four individual teeny tiny pieces of air ducts, which is 
you know, it gives you a lot of versatility, but it means that it's quite a lot of work to make something for it. So Scott has combined some added extra elements, so it's a sort of single drop-on for each building you use. Um, there's those. Um, he's actually been working this week. Um, I'm not sure whether I should say things or not, but no, no, yeah. Um, he's been working on some stacked-up cars and trucks using the Spilling Cars and Trucks pack. Um, so I say using the pack, he takes the 3D models and sort of combines them, merges, adds additional textures and stuff like that. Um, they look really, really good as well. We've got a few more things as well. Uh, I know that the, um, not scatter terrain, but inter- talked about terrain, the Aegis Defense Laser is going to be coming back soon. Um, that should be, yeah, coming back to stock. I don't know when it's going to be. The, the, we've changed it a little bit. We've made it a tiny bit smaller to make it a bit more gameable and make it fit into a box. That would be good. Yeah. Um, That's the one yeah, yeah. where there's a drop fleet version of it, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. It's, yeah. it's, so the, um, the little Aegis... The point defense lasers on all of the UCM ships is that, but in zone scale. Yeah. 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 So, yeah, there is more. It's one of those things I'd like to do it every time we do a drop zone release. We'd, I'd like to do some scenery to go alongside it. Whether that's scattered terrain or MDF or something else, then lots of stuff. Nice. A while back, a bullhorn render got shown. Is that still in the pipeline somewhere? If I'm being very honest, I don't know where it is. <laughs> that that's That's an answer. Um, it Clearly, Lewis some- is not the one working on it. Yeah, it will be somewhere in there. I, I saw a 3D print of it at one point, but I don't know where, how far along it went. I think there's a problem with the print of it. Um, there's some inter- internal structural issues with how it printed. Um, that's all I, I really remember of it. Um, I'd like to go back and do some more fauna. The fauna are going in the game at the moment. You can pay for, to add fauna into your army if you've got a few points to spare. Um, yeah. And they sort of function as a sort of half independent kind of thing. Um, if people want more fauna, they should let us know. Um, that That's the biggest way of doing it, I'd say, because at the moment, fauna is sort of a smaller subset of what the game is. And if people want more, yeah, email in, info at Combat, or let us know on Facebook pages. We're all on there. Um, yeah, and then we could get put that further up the rescue. Well, I suspect that you have at least one person asking about it there. Mm-hmm. Um, are you willing to give? Are you willing to give any information about what the gibbering planet is in the Battle for Earth map? Nope. I suspect that would be okay. a Dave question. <laughs> anybody? Anyway, right? Who's, I, I could give some information, but who says it's a planet? Uh, the person asking the question. I think it. Is it a planet? I've got my books. I've brought all my books with me just in case anyone asks me. Whoa. Um, I know. I'm pre- um, I don't know if it's a planet. Do you have a Traffic James book? I do have a Traffic James book. I love my Traffic James book. Excellent. Excellent. Can we confirm that Traffic James will always remain? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. No matter what happens, Traffic James is going to stay. <laughs> I love the fact that he's now in Rumble <laughs> Slam, too. <laughs> oh, yeah. He's fully canon now. Um, Dave told me a story once about um, Traffic James. He, he loves Traffic James. He thinks it's the most hilarious thing. But he told me a story that Traffic James was the absolute best of the errors that they found. Because for a very long time, it was going to be called Drop Feet Commander because they forgot an L on the cover. <laughs> oh, bullet dodged. Oh, yeah. Um, but yeah, the garbled one is a planet. I've got my map. The garbled one is a planet. There's an unknown, which is just a point of interest. Um, but yeah, I... I I have an idea of what that is. Um, Dave has an idea of what that is, um, but it may be something. We don't. Interesting. <laughs> Along the same what? lines, are we ever going to find out what the Scourge are running from? Uh, who says they're running? Uh, it was in one of the previous updates. I mean, it, it was hypothesized by a UCM scholar that they were running, but that's uh, all. Oh, okay. I, I okay. couldn't say. 
<laughs> One thing that, that um, Dave and I worked together very closely on with Battle for Earth is adding in yeah. more space in the in the world because um, one of the the reasons for it is that Dave's with Hawk they had very limited um, page space for what they were doing. Like, the Recon Quest books are quite thin, particularly in comparison to the massive massive Battle for Earth. Um, oh, so yeah. they they had to be very particular about exactly what story they were telling, and that story was always focused primarily on the actual conflict going on on each planet at that particular time. Um, one of the things with adding resistance into Trot Fleet is expanding that world. It's one of the things I love most about Battle for Earth is there's so many little nooks and crannies everywhere you look. You can be like, I could make an entire army focus on this one tiny conflict and make all this headcanon of what I want this to be. And that's one of the things we're really keen on doing with Battle for Earth is making sure that there's space for people to make their game what they want it to be. So a lot of these questions... Some of them will be answered. Some of them might never be answered. That's up to yeah. the side. No, that that's fair. Um, Warren from Beasts of War would usually call that gaming in the gaps. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, nope, we just asked that one. Michelle, who I'm sure you know very well. Yeah, I love Michelle. He's great. Um, Michelle's asking, you've mentioned to the TT agents that there's the list. For our listeners, can you explain a bit more about what the list is? how long it is, and how did it come to be? Like, maybe some vague examples of what's on it? Um, the, the list, with capital T and capital L, is yes. everything that we haven't done that we've been asked for. Um, <laughs> it is between one item and many more items long. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, it's just everything that people have asked for. It tends to be uh, a lot of time when people email in um, and they have something requested, they go on the list. Um, if we have a few requests for things on the list, in like in consecutively, uh, or a lot of things on the go, then they tend to get added to a sub list, which goes on one of the whiteboards in our room. Um, of things that we would like to do more, more pressingly, I think. Um, the list is extremely long, and it's never going to be finished. And that's the way we like it. The list makes me think of a Rumble Slam character that you should definitely not do, <laughs> that would not be holding a list. And you are, maybe... number three. <laughs> no, there's, there's a wrestler Dude, that actually blister. was doing that at one point. He was adding people to his list of people that pissed him off, basically. Definitely a dwarf wrestler, isn't it? That'd work great with, you know, Traffic James. You know, so as a uh, two-character blister, you know, the list and Traffic James. <laughs> have you guys got a Traffic James miniature? I haven't uh, got it yet. I do no, not. I do intend to buy it. I, I know it's people. The, the, last I ordered for, I, the last I ordered from you, I got a Dreadnought and a couple Terrain kits. So I, The last I thing been... I ordered was a group order. I, I, I put paint on the Dreadnought. <laughs> One of my favourite things about Traffic James, when we put him in Rumble Slam, he's got Crowd Pleaser ability. And the Crowd Pleaser ability is a combination of every single rules error and question about rules that we've ever had to make a rule that doesn't do anything at all. It's absolute <laughs> nonsense gobbledygook. And you look at it and you, you can try and look at that. And we've had a couple of emails so far, people going, does this mean it does this or does it mean it does this? And we're like, yes. Yes, yes. it does mean it does this. It means both of those things and neither. Oh, I love how trolling it is. I really do. <laughs> okay. John Blome. I'm probably saying this wrong, John. I'm going to say Blome. If it's Bloem, I apologise. Uh, do we have a rough ETA on the, on the resistance fleet box? I don't. Um, one of the things that needs to do for that, uh, the big the big battlefield boxes is one of the things that needs to do that's a nice art for the front. Um, and I don't have any of that at the moment. 
Um, we will do one in the future. I'm not going to say we definitely will do resistance frigate boxes and resistance cruiser boxes separately. Um, we've yeah. been quite open about that, I think, in the past as well, because the cruiser and frigate boxes for the other factions, although it's nice to say, oh, I just need a couple of cruisers, for a couple of bit more you can get the starter fleet and the fleet, the cruiser and frigate boxes separately just don't sell, if yeah. we're being very honest. Like, they're, they're, no one buys them. Um, so I'm not going to say we're definitely going to do this separately, but we will do a battle fleet for resistance at some point, yeah, but I'm afraid I don't have a take on that. John was the one that asked uh, about the fashion. specific faction command cards, which you've answered already. Mm-hmm. Yeah, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, oh, yeah, reintroducing uh, uh, character generals and admirals for fleet. Um, like, a, like specific well, names. I think that's about design. I can answer both. Well, generals and, and admirals, so ad, mm-hmm. that's both, actually, yeah. Yeah, generals for zone um, should be coming. Um, famous admirals in fleet are a more difficult prospect for it for various. Well, there's one particular big reason. Um, for zone, uh, we'd like to do famous commanders that are in unique units, unique transports, or unique um, vehicles that they they have just for them. Um, which sort of starts off with what Hawk did originally in Free Conquest One, um, but those mm-hmm. were deliberately made to be imbalanced, which I find a very strange thing. They're made to be if you both had a famous commander it was balanced if one person did they would win um and it made the famous commanders not tournament legal which i think is I don't, as a personal thing i think is a mistake um i think any unit that you could buy you should be able to use in a tournament um, but it just means that we need to make new famous commanders and models for new famous commanders um and bring them in again uh, we've got some ideas of what we could do with them um, but it, it's we haven't got it yet uh, they should uh, if if and when they come it will be after behemoths i can guarantee that um for fleet that's the tricky thing is the models because making a brand new unit type for zone is you know fun and fine and can be really really cool for fleet making a completely new ship is much more difficult because it needs to fit in a very particular space in the design usually they would go in the biggest ship around which is a dreadnought um and we can't exactly make a unique dreadnought just for one commander because we've already got dreadnoughts and that's like massive amount of resin for someone to buy just to pay for that um so the right way of doing that hasn't come immediately apparent in what we wanted to do yet so that's less far along i would say that's fair and i can see i can see the um thought process behind pulling the generals out for now and reintroducing them later Mm -hmm. um because yeah you you don't want people buying stuff that they then can't use especially for a game with zone was very tournament heavy there for a while not that i've played a lot of zone but um it was very popular in the tournament scene for quite a while yeah well the, the decision to make those famous commander models the generic versions, like the standard versions of those, that was already done before Tiffo, and that was already sort of post-Reconquest 2, they'd already introduced them. So that was a, a train that had already left the station, so we decided that's what, that's what that is for now. Those famous commanders are now just regular regular units, tanks and aircraft and things, and we will do something new for them later on down the line. Nice. Um, and then John's last question, kind of, uh, is there, you know, with the, a book to continue lore, more stuff like that, um, the, the one part I really want want to hear your thoughts and opinion on is, you know, improve the integration between uh, Drop Zone and Drop Fleet Commander. Is there is, is, that, is there plans to, to do more work on a book for that? Is that for lore or for rules? That particular one is about the games themselves. Yeah. Um, like imp- improving the integration between them. Um, yeah, there, there's Dave has a lot of plans. So Dave, by Dave's own admission, he will he has said to a lot of people before that the rules in Drop Fleet in the book 
um, to sort of use it when he dropped zone was sort of quite hastily done because he had a whole game to design basically and making yeah. that game work with another game is hard anyway. Um, From memory, I think some... he didn't come up with that idea until very, very late. I could yeah, be remembering true. that wrong though. No, that, that's what he said. He said he wanted to do it, but it was always one of those things that got pushed back because of making sure the game itself was right um, mm. and it got brought in quite late on. Um, he does have more concrete ideas of what he wants to do with it. Um, that's very much in his wheelhouse, so that will be a Death Day-led project when that happens. Um, I can't say exactly when or how, um, but yeah, I'm sure it will happen. As far as integrated books go, um, I don't know whether we're going to do that again or not, because Battle for Earth is probably my favourite book that we have, um, but that is not shared by everybody. We have heard a lot of complaints that it's a drop fleet book, which also has the drop zone rules, and also it's a drop zone book that has drop fleet rules. Um, depending on which side you fall on, you feel both similar. In reality, the amount of space dedicated to drop zone drop fleet are almost identical, and the yeah. vast majority of it is background lore. Um, which is why I love it so much, because um, all the pictures are amazing. Um, so, yeah, whether we do that again or not, I don't know, especially moving towards more digital format books. Um, it might end up being, I'd love to be doing a law-specific book, or maybe a couple of law-specific books, maybe one for um, all the human factions and one for all the aliens. Um, so, yeah, maybe doing simple law books for that might be the way forwards, and having all the rules posted digitally instead, so that you can choose to buy a law book if you want some more information on the story. Um, if you don't want to, just get the books online. Um, yeah, I, I honestly don't know. I'd love to do that. We've got some very cool ideas of where the story can do go. And the one one of the big complaints that Drop Zone has had over the years is that all of the lore is written from a UCM perspective. And there's very good and obvious reason why that's the case, because uh, they are the protagonists. Um, yeah. And it means that we it's don't also know that what happens much about in almost all tabletop gaming, quite frankly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it, it's a... It's a nice way of writing, and it also means that anything that you read, like I said earlier, anything that you read is only from the UCM perspective, so it might not be true. So you yeah. can always expand on it later in line. But yeah, we've got some great ideas of, uh, I've been discussions with Dave quite a lot, of exactly what the White Sphere is and where the Sheltar is. I really, yeah, I really want to explore you're running from. Yeah, we, we've got some really cool prospects of where that's going to go, but it's finding the right way of doing it. Um, Bruce, I'm going to let you ask this question because I want to hear it come from your mouth. <laughs> the name or the question? Uh, specifically the question. Okay. Well, David Muddyman wants to know where the Rumble Slam Pirate Monkeys are. Uh, they are penciled in for release either at the end of this year or at the start of next year. Um, they're a weird one. We got this team sculpted a long time ago. It was actually um, Ray who does our art. It was the first thing that she ever drew for us was this team of pirate monkeys. Um, oh. and there's, there's pirate monkeys, there's elves, and there's a cyclops. Um, and, yeah, the first thing she ever drew, and it was partly a sort of practice piece for her, a test piece. Um, and yeah, she, she ended up doing that when she was um, finishing off her degree. Um, and that was great. And then we brought her in and got working on some other things. And the pirate team just got pushed and pushed and pushed unfortunately and um, it's because one of the big reasons was that we launched a fantasy heroes kickstarter which had a rumble slam team that went along with it and then another fantasy heroes kickstarter which had a rumble slam team that went along with it and then another fantasy heroes kickstarter that had a rumble slam team there's only one of them that i don't have and it's the most recent one i have the halflings oh. and i have the egyptians so it's well, just the sexy knights that you don't have. Yeah. Yeah, I'm looking forward to the sexy knights. Um, so the, the pirate team, unfortunately, one of those ones that just got um, delayed and delayed because it's one of the annoying things. When you put something to Kickstarter, once it's released, you don't want to wait for that long before everyone else can get it. Um, yeah. Because it's not, it's not very fair. It's not very fair on the people that didn't have it. It's not very fair on the people that did have it because if they already bought it and they don't have any 
superstars or supporting characters to play with their team. They've got a team which is a bit neither here nor there. Um, yeah. So yeah, I can say they're definitely coming up soon. As on my release schedule, there's a big excited like three exclamation marks. Pirate team is very <laughs> excited. Um, there's a couple. There's another couple of teams to come before that. I know we we previewed the cats. We've got a team of cat yep. people coming, which is the other Diamond Oasis casino. Um, and the other day, actually, yeah, a couple of work pros Wednesdays ago, we did the new Coldbloods team. Um, which called Bloods Booster, which has a five-reading gecko, um, and there's a few other dinosaurs. I've finished all the rules. We've got the cards for those and everything, and they're, they're very fun. Um, there's, I've got to try and say it right, there's a pterodactylbat, pterodactyl pterodactylbat, um, it's cute, very cool. Um, and yeah, a few other weird things coming up that. Did um, you deliberately so, make that name was. difficult to say? I make everything difficult to say. <laughs> Look at the Carnivale stuff. Like, as we get further in the research stuff, I'm like, how's that pronounced? I I made it up. I don't know how it's pronounced. Someone else tell me. So, do you just have a bag of Scrabble tiles? You reach in, stick your, put your hand and pull it out, and then put them in an order, and that's I the think, name. I think it's like the um, South Park episode about Family Guy with the pulling the different balls, and coming up with different words. That's what it is. <laughs> uh, Dan Seymour. Um, Battle for Earth was launched just as COVID hit. It disrupted, we've kind of touched on a bit of this, disrupting any promotional plans that might have been in place. Now that restrictions are starting to ease, what kind of events can we look forward to? Um, or is it too to early to say? It's a bit too early to say. We're going to go into it slowly um, because, so we've been talking about events this year. We haven't formally committed to any events this year. The UK Games Expo is coming in August and I'm 70 to 80% sure that we will be going. But depending on what happens, um, we've just had an influx of tourists down to Cornwall. Um, and the last time it happened, we had to shut down the warehouse for a couple of weeks because there were COVID cases or COVID scares. Yeah. Um, we're in the middle of that right now. Yeah, we we just can't say, unfortunately. I, I, I said actually to, to my wife the other day that I was actually really missing going to shows. Um, yeah, I, I still do think that. It would be sad to miss out on them. It's one of my favourite parts of the job. Um, we'd like to do that. We'd like to have some more tournaments going. I know that London Grand Tournament's going ahead. I don't know what date it is. I think they pushed it back for a year. Um, but if London Grand Tournament goes ahead, we'll have official tournaments there with representatives there. Dave was at the last one, um, manning up the, heading up the um, zone and free tournaments. Um, yeah, we'd love to do more of that. I'd love to get back into it, but yeah, we are going to go slowly. We've um, we paused our TT agents, um, uh, what's it, uh, but people join the TT agents, our applications. Yeah. Um, and we paused that back when COVID hit. It was only just starting, unfortunately, when COVID hit. It's one of the biggest frustrations yeah. about it. Um, but we, we're not opening up applications again yet, but we will be carrying on sending our starter packs and things to the agents that don't have them. Um, but we're encouraging people just to stay safe because... As much as we want to promote our games and we want everyone else to play our games, we don't want to do the risk to anyone's health. And different places around the world have got such different restrictions, it's not to say. Are the yeah, packs for the agents still going out slowly? So. Sorry, Bruce, I didn't hear that one. Um, are the packs for the agents still going out slowly? Yes, they, they were on hold for a little bit. Um, they're going to go start yeah. going out soon again now. Um, yeah, but yeah, we're, we're going to start it off, but we, we don't want people to put themselves at harm's risk. Um, one of the reasons we're still debating going to shows is that for us particularly, we all work in one massive warehouse. Troll Trader, TT Combat, Kingsley are all in the same different parts of the big warehouse. And if we send 
about a dozen people or you know 20 odd people which we usually do to, to a show and one person gets covid that means every single one of those people is out of the warehouse and in a small warehouse environment like if people go in and spread it that's the whole warehouse shut down or all those 20 people have to like quarantine for two weeks before we come back we, we can't do that we wouldn't want anyone else in any other sort of walk of life to have to do that just for our games no no yeah that, that uh, makes a lot of sense yeah. Any plans for uh, new uh, scenarios? Uh, maybe some with uh, terrain specific to time to launch and scenery teased with again. the uh, Avent calendar. Yeah, yep. drop. Yeah, drop fleet. Yeah, um, Scott has been working on those. Uh, he sent me a spreadsheet last thing on Friday, which I still haven't read. Sorry, Scott. I'll get to it this week. Um, yeah, he's been writing on rules for those. <laughs> he said he <laughs> he was like, I've written the whole spreadsheet with loads of different rules on there for each different one. He said most of those are going to go in the bin, but in the case of throw things at the wall and see what sticks. Um, some of them are going to be quite in depth, and some of them are quite simple. Like I, I think he said one of them is like a, a like a refinery ball thing, and it's like if you blow that up, it blows up really big, nice and easy. And then some things like um, hangers and stuff are going to be a little, a little bit more in depth. Um, those I think the first wave of those releases are coming with the next drop zone release um, in the same week. Um, so yeah, look, goes out for those very soon. Um, this next one, Dan you... also wants to know. Yep, you go. Um, it, Dan's wanting to know if we could get a, a battle report of a game uh, from uh, TT Combat HQ. I'm going to expand on that a little bit after hearing about your dice rolls. Can we get a battle report between you and Dave, the creator of the game, who knows it inside and out, and you who can't roll? <laughs> I, I'd love to say yes. I don't know when Dave's going to be back down with us. Um, it's the true answer. Dave, Dave lives remotely. He, he's over near London. Um, and like I say, he, he tends to visit when it's not COVID. He, he was visiting sort of three, maybe four times a year, and we'd see him shows and things. Um, and he'd come for a week and we'd work together. Um, but those weeks are always the busiest weeks of my year because it's getting as much as we can out of Dave at the time. And you'll see the last few times we've done it, we've had to, like a flurry of videos of Dave shortly afterwards because that's everything we can possibly like coming through the time week. Um, so against Dave, I'm going to say the chance are fairly slim because I haven't seen him in over a year. Um, we chat all the time. We're, we're on the phone several times a week. Um, but yeah, I haven't seen him for a little while. Um, hopefully when he comes back we can convince him to do that. He's probably taken it's probably been longer for him playing a game than anyone else that has been playing Drop Zone Drop Fleet because he's been holed up in London on his own and yeah, tricky for him. Um for other people writing about the report and stuff, we potentially would like we I mean I'd love to do, but it's getting the time um from any of the media teams to do it. And when I say media team I mean Kim and or Joe, which is pretty much everyone at the moment. Um, which we, which we, one of them has the best dice rolls? Uh, Joe usually beats me, so that's not actually saying much, is it? Um, Kim's actually so really good. Yeah, she's a very well. Um, but yeah, so you versus Kim then? <laughs> um, it's getting time to do it is more than anything. We, yeah. we don't really have. We'd love to have a setup in the office where we could particularly um, like say stream. Um, maybe even if they're not live, but stream video content. Um, but finding that space and finding that time is tricky. It did sort of. We try and keep our team as small as possible um, because yeah. then you know we can charge hardly any money for any of products and we'll get things really cheap. Um, but it's it's kind of a choice we have between making more battle royal content, that sort of content, or having new releases at the moment. Yeah. Um, particularly as we're not all back in the office at the moment, a lot of us are working remotely from home, um, and so yeah, we've got quite a lot of people in our design team, particularly who are high risk, um, so they've been at home for quite a long time. So yes, yeah, gonna it's. We're hopefully going to like speed up 
content like that a little more. Um, before COVID hit, I think you um, dedicated TT community fans would have seen that there was more and more content going out each week for every game, whether it had a release or not. Um, yeah. We'd like to get back to that, but yeah, because we're sort of struggling to get everyone in the office at the same time, um, making time for that is tricky. But yeah, I, I'd, I'd like to, hopefully. Watch the space. Um, and I deleted the last question that he asked because I realised that we've already asked it. I missed one of the double-ups. Sorry. <laughs> um, last up is Renz and Dario. Um, mm-hmm. They are the Monsters Behind the Masks podcast. Yeah, brilliant. Uh, which is a Carnivale podcast. So they did ask about Blood in the Water, which we've already covered. I suspect that most of these are kind of going to get a similar sort of answer. Um, because until it's finished, you probably can't talk too much about it. But um, they talk about the the patricians, um, and if there's any, uh, if you can share any anticipation on how you intend to expand the range, their range is smaller than most of the others, apparently. Yeah, it is. They they've had the fewest few types of characters come out since we start since we put the games to retail, and um, they've got. Probably on the flip side, they've probably got the most new characters coming. Um, oh, I, I'm not, maybe not. I don't have my list in front of me. Don't hold me to that, friends. Um, but yeah, they've got a lot of new characters coming. Um, I don't know if I can say too much without giving away what's going to happen in the plot on Blood and Water. Renz has been extremely close with his guesses so far. <laughs> if it was anyone else, I might give away a little bit more. But every time we've had a tiny bit of information, Renz goes, well, looking at that, I can guarantee that this and this and this are going to happen. I'm like, oh, oh, yeah, that's pretty close. You probably shouldn't have admitted that. Because <laughs> now he knows. <laughs> now he, he was he. He, he knows what he's talking about. Um, but yeah, I, I, there's a lot of cool stuff coming from patricians. I'm a patricians player myself, so I've, yeah, I, I've been wanting more stuff for a little while, but I, I've been holding off and expanding my game because I know there's some stuff I really, really want coming up. And there's some stuff in there that is expected. So the um, the city guard sub-faction within patricians are getting some more reinforcements. So I think that's not too much of a secret. Um, they're getting a few different character classes so you can play an entire city guard gang or mix a few things into your regular patricians. Um, they're getting some expansions, and then the patricians are getting some stuff that you really wouldn't expect them to have. Interesting. Uh, for George's sake, the patricians are essentially the nobles, um, and definitely not the good guys. Although I don't they're think like, there really are any good guys in this story. Uh, the guild like to pretend sure. that they're the good guys, but they're still the thieves' guild. They're a shower. I thought nice. the parrot monkeys were the good guys. <laughs> Wrong game. The Rashar, aren't they like a twisted cult type thing? Oh, wait, yeah. yeah. <laughs> One person's twisted cult is another person's benevolent religion. Oh, okay, fine. <laughs> Speaking of the yeah, Rashad, that they is are a, up fair, next. a fair statement right there. <laughs> yeah, true. Um, we find it really interesting the presence of the flame that burns underwater. Uh, will we see any other deities become available to the Rashad? Maybe of a different aspect? Within, within Blood on the Water. No. Um, future plans after that are still kind of murky, no pun intended. Um, but I'd like to do more of that stuff. They're, 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 we wrote the, Gavin and I wrote that bit together with the Rishar, um, that most of the Rishar in Kambalik are in Worship Dagon, um, and uh, Flame of Buns Underwater is an um, agent within the world of the living for Mother Hydra, who's a different sort of deity. Um, and there's crossover and a bit of different sort of conflict between the pantheons and yeah there, there's more there than we'd like to explore but i can say that there, wait can i say that there isn't going to be any blood on the water probably probably i can say that i might be lying but 
Yeah, maybe I can say that. I do know I was, that the, um, I was the, none of your answers are going to be the right ones anyway. <laughs> that's true. I do lie quite a lot. Um, I will say that the uh, the flame that burns on the water, her model hasn't been released yet, but we will be seeing her this year. She's had a bit of a tweak and a redesign. There's some stuff that we need to change to make the models work better, and some stuff that we want to change to make the model work better. Um, hopefully, we'll be able to show her off in a future working progress Wednesday before she's released because she looks great. Really, really cool. Who's the mini that has the giant? water aspect with the mask thing where you can uh, see the, like um, the black spectre yeah who's that for yeah that's that's a gifted model um so it's okay. a there's a patrician in the center of it who's possessed by the black spectre the spirit of the black spectre um and the black spectre is this big ethereal ghost monster thing um and it's really powerful if you want to win a game take the black spectre um are there any plans to expand the magic disciplines that are currently available uh, I have plans. <laughs> <laughs> this was essentially Again. the same question, but for items. Any plans to include magic or more mundane items available to gangs? Same answer. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to be very much sure for some of this. Um, there won't be more magic in Blood and the Water. There won't be any more disciplines in Blood and the Water. We've made sure with Blood and Water to focus on particular things that we think the game needs, and there's some stuff in there that, although literally no one has guessed what it is yet, um, but as soon as you see it, you'll be like, oh, why wasn't that in the court rules? Like, that, that's an obvious addition, um, which I think will go over really, really well. Interesting. Is, is that mysterious enough? I think that's mysterious enough. Well, there's Stragoya, Stragoya there. The church are there. So everybody from the original are all there. So this mm -hmm. is obviously something new that you guys are intending to add. Um, yeah, there, there's some new stuff coming. Ish. There's some new rules. <laughs> there's some new There's some new designs coming. Um, there's not, I will guarantee there is not a new faction on its way. Something new coming in an expansion. This I never know. happens. What? Yeah, we, we won't be doing a new faction quite yet. Um, at least we've got seven factions in Carnivale, which is already quite a lot to yeah. juggle. Yeah. And in actual fact, they, they all hold a really strong place within the city. And because the game is built around the city and around the world, how it impacts with Venice itself, um, anything new, any new factions, a lot of people suggest new factions could come in from outside. And a lot of that feels a bit off because the core of the game is the city. So bring me yeah. in anything massive from outside is a bit weird. Like, so the, for example, the Vatican are our outside faction. They, they've come from the south of France and they're invading Italy, they're invading Venice and they've not been received very well within the law because they are an outside faction. Outsiders yeah. and they're trying to impose their will. I think we've got those. We don't need another faction to do that same thing. And you, you, don't want to water the, you don't want to water it down either. <laughs> exactly, yeah. It, it's about Venice. It's about vying for power within Venice. There's enough people in there at the moment that you could divide off the city nicely and so there's some big war zones that do some weird things and george do you want to get into that last one yeah the uh painter mask maker kickstarter exclusives are there any plans for alternate sculpts of this of these characters Yes, um, Ray has been doing some new updated art for the artist recently, um, incorporating some stuff we wanted to put in the original, but didn't quite have the scope and space to do that. So yeah, the, the artist will be coming, I'm not going to say shortly, but will be forthcoming, um, Mr. Pack. Um, the mask maker, I couldn't comment on right now. She hasn't done any new art for the mask maker, I will say right now. But who knows what the future will bring? There's more gifted aside from those, though, that are coming up by, which people won't be expecting, but we're very happy to see. And that's it for our fan questions. 
Lewis, thank you so much for taking time out of our out of your Sunday to to sit down and chat with us for for a couple of hours. It turned out. No, thank you for having me. Um, I, I do been... have one last very important. I, I have one last very important question to ask you now. When this comes out, are you going to listen to it and realize, oh crap, I shouldn't have said that? <laughs> no, but my wife will. <laughs> <laughs> All the podcasts that I do, I'd, this is going to be one getting table that I'm actually going to skip. My Spotify queue is going to be like, do you want to listen to this or next <laughs> No, no, I do not. I don't like listening to myself talking. But um, yeah, my wife. Neither do I, to be honest. I, usually I come home, if I've done a podcast or a recording or something, I come home and I'll be like, what are you listening to? She's like, like is, is that me? Yeah, it's you. <laughs> okay. I'll just go upstairs then. Um, is your wife yeah. game at all? No, she's not a gamer. Um, she, she's a normal person. <laughs> But she, she, they exist. It's yeah. She's one normal of those normal partners. <laughs> so I've got some questions for you two, if you want. Sure. Oh, okay. Just a few. So okay, okay. So what's your favorite ship in Battlefleet in Endrofleet? For me, it's my the, favorite. I'll, I'll look. For me, it's the um, it's the battle, the Scourge battleship. Oh, is that it? one there? So the one on the side of you. <laughs> yes. Hang on. Which side is it on? That side. That one. Um, <laughs> It might be the destroyers, actually. It's one or the other. It's very, very close. I do, lo- I do love the dreadnought, uh, but honestly, they are probably. Uh, which faction do you play, actually? Resistance. Okay. Yep. Although I, so I have two answers. Uh, yeah, to, go ahead. I have, I have two answers to that question. Aesthetically, the uh, second sculpt of the original Scourge uh, battle cruisers, the Akuma yes. and Banshee. Mm-hmm. So not not the but but the the second sculpt that you know, is you know not the Kickstarter exclusive. I think those ships aesthetically are just absolutely gorgeous. My so the favorite one ship sale. is going to be kind of low key and right yeah. The 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 one that's uh it, it's pretty low key and you're going to be a little disappointed when I say this. The Onyx is my favorite ship for the Shaltari because fun. that's twelve three up shots, <laughs> and that's if you get that ship in the right position, that's a you know, a front arc of 12 shots. Mm-hmm. That does so much damage for such a low point cost. Yeah. And the I'm, I'm all about the dice. Yeah, the Akuma, you can't really... Yeah, you know, that's a pretty good one for outbreak damage for points cost. Oh, I must have misheard you. I thought you said that you'd taken it off sale. I'm thinking, no, it's still on the website. Oh, no, it's, it's there, but the, um, the design has changed to be the new Battlecruiser. So the, the hull of the original one didn't go together, didn't print out properly, so they had quite a big gaps. So oh, yes, yeah, my, mine does off, have so big gaps in it. Yeah, it was one of those ones. It was, um, it was done just before the takeover. Um, yeah. and we ended up, I think they were released just before the takeover, and we ended up properly releasing it because they could get the stock out, um, and all the molds were already done. But it had this weird thing where where the hole meets the head, there's like this like angle like this where you've got big gaps in the side. Yeah, it kind of, it's like that sort of. Yeah, and I always thought it was the mold and it's not the mold because we print it out again and it comes out in the print again. And so I was like, Dave, it's definitely not the mold. It's come out in the print. Can you check the 3D? And we checked the 3D render. I was like, no, said that it was a perfect thing. But something weird about the exact angle that that hole meets the prow <laughs> means every time it prints, it comes out wrong. No matter what angle you do it from, it just doesn't like that part. Of it so we ended up changing Weird. that combining bits and making it a bit better fit now. Maybe it's something going wrong in the slicing of the model or something. 
yeah, I've absolutely no idea what um, Dave went through all the English parts, but I think it's just the way that it was printed. Are you telling um, so me that you, I now have to buy a new different. Akuma? Well, you don't have to, but <laughs> they're all the same Akumas. <laughs> Keep your old on if you don't mind having big gaps. Okay, so that's the first question. So I know that you two both dabble in Drop Zone. Yes. Do you both play the same yep. faction, Zoners and Fleet? Um, well, I, I have played Scourge, so yes, yeah, so I, I have play. stayed with the same faction. Um, uh, and as have I. Aesthetics. Yeah. Is it the aesthetics that make you take them to, like, so one of the things I find really interesting is how the two, fa- like, how similar factions play across different games. I think it's a really weird thing because they play, all the factions play differently, but there's threads of similar things to them. So, like, for, for Scourge example, you've got a sort of focus on close-action weaponry and getting close to use Scold in Fleet. And in Zone, they tend to have a lot of weapons that have the same counter and full range, so you've got to get in close as well. So that's sort of the kind of thing. Um, do you think, like, that's the play style is a good draw, or would you rather just go with, this looks cool, so I'll take it? It's, it's a little bit of both for me. Um... When my friend first asked if I wanted to have a game, um, because it was kind of something that I'd been curious about for a while, and then being in Drop Fleet, because that's where I brought in, um, I eventually got to the point, no, I would like a game. And it's like, who would you want to play with? And at that point in Drop Fleet, I'd made the move from UCM to Scourge because it suited my, my the way that I play. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, if I had the choice, I'd prefer to start with Scourge because um, it just, I don't know, I, I kind of... I like the way that Scourge are. I, they, they remind me of the gold, uh, which is just a really cool bad guy in Stargate. Um, I mean, they're not the same, and I'm not suggesting they are. There are some aesthetic ideas that remind. Um, so it, it's a it's a mixture of a few things. It's it's I really enjoyed the way that they play. The destroyers were just so much fun to send through the buildings. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I just I just love the look of the models. They're, they're they're just the models that stick out to me. So it's a little bit of both. Yeah, nice. The, the main reason I haven't finished play? painting my stuff is because I haven't I didn't want to paint them the same as my fleet stuff, and I can't figure out how I want to paint them. I don't think anyone needs to give any excuse as to why they haven't finished painting their stuff. Well, that's, that's not where you want to go down. Isn't I just it? unpainted a whole heap of models, <laughs> but they're not your models, so I'll be quiet about that. <laughs> So George, so what can we do to get I, you into Zone? I, well, I, so I do have Drop Zone. Um, I, I I got a starter back when it was first released, um, and the reason why I went with Shaltari was, and I'm gonna I'm gonna take words out of your mouth. Uh, I was reading through the rules of what all the factions could do, and I was just like, oh, I could cheat really good with the Shaltari. <laughs> and one of my first games with the Shaltari, I went through and I did I did the deployment. And traditionally, you know, you put your troops in the building, you start looking for the objective in the building. And I went through and I did it, and I was just like, some of my troops are going to be here, some of my troops are going to be here, and they're going to both look for an objective. And my opponent was just like, oh, crap, you can do that. And so the next time I played it, played him, he started shooting the buildings to keep me from splitting off and getting more objectives. And he was just like, no, I'm not letting you cheat like that again. So um, <laughs> part of my issue is where I live the 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 gaming community gets dominated by a game and there's not a lot of people uh we we had a very strong group of nine people playing drop fleet four of them graduated college and moved uh one of them his wife was a professor and they moved and then one of the store owners sold his stake in the store and moved so there's two of us that play still in the area so that 
I like living here because there aren't people. The problem is, is then there's also not people to play with. That's also mm -hmm. where my move to doing more of the board game has, because it's easier to sit down with the. Here's a board game. You want to play a board game with me instead of? Oh, you don't have five hundred dollars of an army. Oh, dang. You know. So I do Maybe have George them, needs to move to a state and they will be exists. painted. Well, we're the same down in Cornwall. With with in the middle of nowhere, there's very few gamers around. Um, so getting games of other things is tricky. Easier for me because I can just go to the office, which is nice. But if you want to play anything else that's not 40k, then yeah, it is difficult. And I have a that's shelf exactly downstairs full of yeah. board games. Yeah, my wife laments out every every other week. I've got something else telling him from Kickstarter. <laughs> yeah, it's about that. But it is easier to get things to play. So that's sort of all in one box kind of thing. I do have a lot of time for. Yeah. Right. So okay. So well, that's it. So I've, I've been I've been really tempted recently to pick up Shatari Army the Drop Zone, and it keeps on eating away at me. I'm struggling because um the last balance pass took the big four legged the Jaguar, the big four the three legged Walker into standard, so you can make an entire army with big walkers, and that that really that really does it for me. <laughs> so I'm at work. I'm like, no, not today. I can't today. I do want them. <laughs> It's that cheating aspect I do like. Being able to like, just like, pick yeah. something up and go, oh, no, no, I was over there. I'll have to no, talk no, to you no. about kind and of that was the first thing get was... you to talk me out of buying into it. I'm the wrong person to talk you out of buying anything. <laughs> The ostriches that were released a few weeks ago were just like, I didn't need to see that. I think I might have even said it during the podcast. <laughs> I, there was, um, right. I, I had a look. There was a, an article on, on Tabletop when they were released. It was like, these are coming out. And one of the comments was like, I have no idea what this game is and why these are here, but I definitely need it now. I'm like, yeah, exactly. Like, <laughs> what is this game? Like, Just when you think you've got a handle on it, you go, here's some weirdos riding ostriches. <laughs> So one more thing before before we wrap up here that I want to compliment TT Combat on, you know, going back to the terrain of, you know, MDF terrain being so much better than a lot of the plastic stuff and everything. The one thing I have to give you guys so much credit for is this recent release of this is the uh, knowledge level you need to have to to build this this specific terrain oh, kit. Yeah. I think that's huge because the the kit that I've got down here, I you know I was able to you know piece it out from the instructions, and there's there's a couple of wonky bits in the instructions. I was just like, well, but based on my my eye of putting stuff together, it should go like this because it'll fit then. And I, I think that's great because uh, I, I know talking to a lot of new gamers, you know, they're they're so intimidated because like, how do I put this together? You ever put a kit card together? Do it like that, except it's it's this big instead of you know a car. And I think adding that as a you know a guide of you know this terrain will be this hard or this easy to put together. I think is is a great thing for the hobby and the community as well because yeah. you you remove some of that intimidation factor mm -hmm. or or you like oh this will be a little more challenging. Like this will test my skill set because it's above this this skill level I've been working at. So, so I, have, I just have to compliment you on that as well. You have one person to thank for that, and that is my wife. <laughs> Entirely her idea. We had we had a, a email one day that said, "How many parts is this kit?" And I and we never had that before. They said, "How many parts comes in this thing?" And I'm like, "I'm counting all the parts in this kit. There's loads of them. I'm not bothered to. That's the what's the point?" And I went home and I told my wife this story. And she was like, "Yeah, but why don't you have something that says like they're probably just asking how easy it is or how long it will take?" It's like, "No, that's exactly what they're asking. That's something no one else does." Thing like that is exactly what we need. So we ended up like just discussing it in the in the group and in the chat and saying what like people want to know how hard it is and they want to know how long it takes. Let's just make one little symbol that says exactly that for every single one. 
So we're going to go back through all the old kits as well and make sure all of those have those symbols. Because it's, like I say, so many people, we get a lot of emails from people saying, oh, well, I haven't really built any MDF kits before. How do I do it? Or how do I paint MDF kits? And you're like, well, it's pretty much just the same as everything else. But it's not. Like, we we, we think that because we've built thousands of the buggers over the time. Yeah. But, yeah, everyone right. needs to start somewhere. Um, so, yeah, I, I think a great, great idea. But, yeah, I completely attribute to my wife. If you're someone that's struggling to figure out the painting of the MDF kit, the one thing I will suggest is that you will find spray cans a lot easier than you will uh, your airbrush. And this is from someone that never recommends spray cans for anything. Mm-hmm. Um, so that should probably hold a little bit of weight. I've got Finn on the line to teach me how to airbrush scenery because I've never been an airbrusher. Um, so I've always used spray cans and brushes, but I've got him. Now that we're finally going back into the office, we're going to do some after after work classes where he's going to teach me how to do it. Because you can do, I think, a rental can, well, a primer, first of all. Um, so like the, uh, we do an um, MDF sealer, which is great because it just means that you save on spray paint. But yeah, you prime yeah. on after the sealer and then airbrush after that to get all the details. It's quite easy to get a really nice effect on them, especially if you put a little bit more work into the construction stage, like adding a little bit of um, like scatter terrain or adding some sand and some rubble and stuff. It really turns it like so many of the kids that I've seen, so many of the things people send us, you look at it and you're like, is that one of our pieces of scene? Oh yeah, I can see you change this and this and this and then you've made something that looks like it's not MDF, which is amazing. Yeah, there's a company over here that I suppose technically is one of your competitors uh, that kind of shares and comments the same sort of things sometimes where mm. like their community has like changed up one of their very simple kits to be really extravagant. Um, it's kind of insane. Like MDF kits are already quite good and people take them even further. It's quite insane where they go. Yeah. We, we have no like ill intentions to anyone that sends something in and they modded the hell out of it. Like we love that because we do see it as the MDF kit is the start of your project. Like if you want to paint it up just as that, just as it is to get it on the table and get going, that's great. But if you want to, you can really put a lot of extra time into it. Uh, get something really, really special. Very well, let's be fair. Money. Nobody buys the Rumble Slam rings just to paint the standard. Like everybody makes it their yeah. own ring. That's yeah, the, the whole point is to make it for your fed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. On that note, I will say before we finish, anyone that's painted anything from any T to Combat range, whether it's scenery or miniatures, anything at all, if you send pictures through to info at ttcombat.com, we would love, love, love to share them on the TT community page, and we just love seeing them, because we work in a little bubble where we make the scenery, we take the photos, and that's pretty much all we do with it, so seeing all this stuff come back is just, it really makes the job worth doing, and we love showing it to That reminds me, I've been promising you photos of my drop fleet for a while. Yes, you have. <laughs> I should, I should right. probably send you a, a, a photo of my dreadnought that has seven coats of paint on it and it's just and i've only got the base coat done well get get major socks to send pictures over of his stuff and then we can do a whole thing getting tabled monday motivation special there you go there we go i'm I'm gonna pen that in right now there you go hold you to that great thanks the only issue with that Uh, is on that note of this last interview we're ever gonna do with you now (laughs) (laughs) yeah we have to wait for him to become florida man first he can't call himself florida man florida man already exists well, again, I know I know I've already said it, but th- again, thank you for taking the time on your your Sunday afternoon evening there, Lewis, to talk to us. We we really appreciate this. This is something that we've wanted to do for the last I don't know, probably four years now, Bruce. Something like that. And I don't even know. I, how I think it's great that you you took the, took the time to yeah to talk to us and and share some insight of to you know how the hobby actually works 
before it gets to, to us in the package on the shelf. Oh, no, thank you so much for having me. It's been great. I, I, like I say, I've been, been, been a big fan of the podcast for a long time, um, and I think what you guys are doing is great. And anyone else out there that's running podcasts or running blogs or doing anything like that that's you know promoting anything that you're creating and talking about anything, you're, you're keeping the hobby alive for everybody that can't get to game right now. doing fantastic work. Thank you very much. Well, on and that note... Given that it's around 6 o'clock for you, I suspect that dinner's probably in your nostrils there somewhere. Oh, no, I've got to even cook it now. That's my job. <laughs> All right, on that note, Thank then. You. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. For listening to Getting Table, music used in this podcast was created by Eric Mataris at soundimage.org. Say the games thing. Play more games.